Episode 018 of the Bit Beacon Broadcast. It's January 23rd, 2024. I'm here, Rick Ravenheart. And so is myself, Taylor, a.k.a. Kodax. Kodax. Or if you met me in my Laser Quest days, I would have been Agent X. That's right. Um, let's jump into our usual first topic. What have we been playing? What have we been buying? Um, Rick? I went first last week. Alright, fine. I'll go first. Um, okay, first I'll talk about what I've been playing. Um, in this past week, I've been checking out this demo for this game called Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. Wow. Um, Grand Blue Fantasy is a mobile game that came out like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of a web-based mobile game is my understanding. Like you're basically playing in a browser and oh. you can also play it on PC. Okay. Uh, but it's like one of the really, really early mobile games, like gotcha style mobile games. Gotcha. And uh, it's been around for a long time. It's got beautiful artwork. A bunch of old Final Fantasy veterans work on the game, especially oh. the artwork is done by, I can't remember the artist's name, but if you see his artwork for Grand Blue Fantasy, you're like immediately you recognize it as almost like, uh, like it kind of looks like the tack. Uh, no, I might be wrong on that. Final Fantasy Tactics? No, I don't think it's Final Fantasy Tactics. Anyways, you you would recognize the artwork. Do you know the studio name? Uh, Psy Games. Psy Games. Psy Games, yeah. And I've been interested in the game because the game has such beautiful artwork, but there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through in order to play it in North America in English. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, ha- they don't like officially support it through like, um, like the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. You have to like use these interim apps and things and you have to make accounts on like japanese websites and stuff it's kind of a hassle okay but uh in the last couple years they're trying to expand into more of a big multimedia kind of thing with grand blue fantasy Mm -hmm. uh they hired arc system works to make uh, a fighting game grand blue fantasy rising and they just had sort of a sequel to that game come out uh just a month or so ago this is all on mobile no, no, no. These are now we're exploring PC and console. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And then this Grand Blue Fantasy Relink is like their first like AAA action game. Okay. And originally this game was being made in partnership with Platinum Games. Oh, wow. But like four years ago or so, they went their separate ways on the project. Mm-hmm. Although some people from Platinum did quit Platinum and go work for Psy Games to continue developing the game, including the game's director. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and so it's a game I've had my eye on. I'm not kidding you, for probably seven years since they first unveiled it. Wow. So I've been following it for a really long time, and the game is coming out next week. So I'm really excited to play it. Um, the demo was a lot of fun. It's uh, got like a big, sprawling kind of story. Mm-hmm. But then there's also this sort of like... Uh, quest hub that's in like the town yeah. and you can go tackle these quests with like other players cooperatively if you want so what what kind of you said rpg is it like open world no it's more linear than that i think you kind of go on missions okay. like you kind of have like a hub and then you go on like a like a big like a story mission and then you right. come back to the hub 
I mean, maybe some of the story missions are linked in succession. Got it. Okay. Um, but then in between doing these missions, there's these uh, quests where you go and, like, tackle, like, a horde of enemies in, like, sort of an arena. Mm-hmm. Or you can go tackle, like, uh, bosses. And they're almost like MMO-style bosses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the AI is pretty smart. You can either bring a party of up to four of your characters into these quests, they call them. Kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of Monster Hunter in a way, but... Not like a big map, just like a smaller focused arena. I gotcha. Um, and uh, it's pretty, it's actually really, really cool. And the characters are all so incredibly varied. There's like, I think like 15 characters that are going to be available at launch. And they're going to continue to add new characters for free to the game. Wow. Post-launch. So are there Final Fantasy developers working on this new one? Does Relink? People who originally worked for Square Enix, uh, yes. I know, like, Uematsu, the original composer for most of the older Final Fantasy games. Nobuo Uematsu. Yeah, has done music for Grand Blue Fantasy, and surely his music will also be in this game as well. Gotcha. Um, But it's not, doesn't mean it is Final, like Final Fantasy. Yeah. I gotcha. That um, sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, maybe I could show you the demo before I, you leave later. Yeah. I've never even heard of it. Uh, yeah. it's It's got a gorgeous visual style. I think think you might be interested in it. That's cool. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. The demo is awesome. I spent a bunch of time just kind of figuring out which of the characters were kind of my speed. seems there's a lot of nuance to really, like, master a character. Mm-hmm. Like, there's very... like platinum style action where like if you get timing just right on things like you get like extra perks to your attack or like if you dodge at the right moment you can do like a follow-up kind of thing so very real-time combat oh yeah yeah this is like a true action game yeah this one i understand the mobile game is turn-based but this is fully an action game gotcha platinum you know level uh what what platform are you playing the demo on uh ps5 i believe it's going to be available ps5 ps4 and pc no other platforms at this time yeah crazy uh is the pc version like going to be browser based too or is it oh no no relink or sorry relink this new game yeah is like you know, going to be on, like on Steam or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, on okay. Steam. This is like a forty gigabyte. Got it. You know, or bigger game. Yeah, big, you know, big game. Yeah, it's not browser compatible. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Run, running some four K graphics. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could stream it to a browser. Yeah. Um. Other than that, I haven't been playing too much, but I did pick up a couple games. There's one game we both have in common. I'll get to that in a moment. Um. But the other game I picked up, or I guess I ordered it more than a month ago, but it's now here. Mm-hmm. It is The Last of Us Part Two Remastered, and it is the WLF edition. So What the hell? Uh, it's like Western Liberty Front. It's like the name of some or like, like collective a, a faction game. in the game. Yeah, basically. Um and so this edition, which I'll unbox right now, was only sold directly to buy PlayStation. Wow. You had to buy it from their store. Um, you couldn't pick it up like at Target or GameStop or anywhere else. And it sold out after about an hour of being available. So what is there anything different gameplay-wise? Or is it the same? Um, so I know. The Last of Us Part Two came out three years ago. Yeah. And now we already have a remaster. Yeah. So I know some people are probably kind of um, groaning at that fact. 
Uh, that seems to be a running theme with Naughty Dog. Yeah, they, they do a lot of remasters. Um, so this this particular edition, it just comes with some extra goodies. Mm-hmm. Um, the game itself, I do love this shiny seal yeah. over here. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. really nice. Um, so this edition comes with these trading cards, 47 in total with eight of them being a limited edition holographic cards. Um, a patch from the Washington Liberation Front, a set of four enamel pins, and Rick's favorite, a steelbook display yeah. oh, case. Oh, yeah, of course. Does it, I mean, okay, retail case or not? Uh, well, okay, so a couple years ago they made The Last of Us Part 1 mm-hmm. remastered for PS5 right. or whatever. It was only in a steelbook. It was right? only in a steelbook. And I believe it's the same case for uh, this as well. Uh, um, I own the standard copy for PS4, so I'm kind of okay with that. Now, I will say this isn't just the same game. Like, you know, thrown into the PS5 version. They did actually add some really cool stuff to this. Mm-hmm. You can play the game with director's commentary the entire time you're playing it. Like vocal commentary? Yeah, vocal commentary. What? That's new. I've never yeah. heard of that. Um, so that's pretty unique. Um, they also added in a new, like, roguelike mode. Uh, that's unique to just this edition. It wasn't in the original. Uh, so randomly generated environments? Yeah, like, so you pick a character, you can play as a a whole bunch of different characters, and you kind of get thrown into this thing, and you gotta try to make it to the end, or as far as you can, kind of. Wow, that's... So, a randomly generated environment in a survival game. Yeah. That's crazy. So, like, for people who are looking for, like, more reason to come back and, like, experience that gameplay, Mm -hmm. now they have something. I know there's new trophies for that new gameplay mode, but they're, like, almost like they're DLC trophies, so they're not required to get the Platinum. Um, there's also, I think they're calling them deleted scenes. They're basically chunks of the game that were like partially completed mm-hmm. or, but you know, they didn't make it into the final cut, but they basically tied these up so you can go check them out. Like, you know, they're not added to the game like a extra scenes. But they're not like broken or anything. Any, like No, I guess they they're playable enough. They that... put colliders and stuff around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty unique remaster, I would say. Yeah. That's... Um, there are some cool, you know, it kind of justifies it. And what's really cool is if you own the PS4 version, mm-hmm. you can put in your disc and for $10, you can get this remastered version like at no just a ten dollar cost which is pretty generous i think they could have just said no forget it you have to buy it all over again otherwise uh standard retail copies i think are fifty dollars and uh this wlf edition was one hundred dollars yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot, but um I mean if you look at the aftermarket it comes with a lot of stuff. Yeah if you look at the aftermarket it's like $200 easily. I imagine. Uh, I mean, Last of Us. So, um, I'm, okay, of course, I'm guessing by way of PlayStation's policy, this is available digitally, so if you didn't get in on this, you can still play it digitally, right? Yeah, I mean, well, there's still standard retail copies, too, for $50. Oh, So you can go into GameStop and get, if you want a physical copy of the PS5 version of Last of Us Part 2, then you can just go spend 50 bucks. Okay. If you already have the PS4 version for ten dollars, get the upgrade, the digital upgrade. But this LWC remake or whatever edition, the WLF edition, it's just the name of the edition that comes with the physical goodies. Okay, so it's the name of the collectors. 
edition effectively. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's no like I think there are there's a code for some like early unlocks of some perks or something like that. Mm-hmm. They give you, I guess, a little bit of a head start that are exclusive to this edition, but they're things that you can normally get in the game. Gotcha. It just gives them to you earlier. Got it. So there's no like real gameplay advantage or anything like that. Um so when did this come out? Or this is so this is effectively Last of Us Part Two remastered. Yes, that's its official title. And th- this is the collector's I call it a bundle. Yeah. I refuse to call it an edition because that implies that like it's a different game in my or you know, title, I guess you'd say in my opinion. Okay, so uh, the industry calls them collector's editions. Yeah, I know they do. <laughs> that's what they do. So but right. um this is just a like a remastered title so you could just go get last of us part two remastered and that's what it's called right yes the official title of the game is last of us part two remastered got it okay yeah i'm (laughs) i got confused by (laughs) well you know what if you were confused maybe the audience was confused so now everyone is fully uh Got got it cleared up okay um before we jump into the next game that I got and you also got, mm-hmm. I was at GameStop last week and they had a bunch of like their pre-order bonuses that they just were trying to get rid of. Yeah. Uh, and they had them all sprawled out on their desk. And I picked up a couple. Um, I got this set of Super Mario RPG pins. Those are cool. And... Um, Persona 5 Tactica uh, coasters. paper They're paper coasters, yeah. so I don't know that you'd really want to use them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, who would? Um, but uh, I actually picked up two, so this set is for Rick. Oh, wow. Thank you, dude. Yeah. That's cool. I was going to say, like, <laughs> awesome find. Thank you, dude. Yeah, I know. And they were also giving away steelbooks for the newest Call of Duty game. Oh, wow. I did get one of those, but... I, uh, that's I only got one. I didn't think I mean, you really. I, I yeah, I, I would have taken it. Oh, but okay. That's okay. I wasn't sure. I I'm my mind is opening to Call of Duty. Really? Yeah, it is a little bit. I haven't played anything yet. But if I did, if I were to, I'd probably go play the original Modern Warfare and start there. Okay. But I'm I'm thinking about it. Like I am. Part of me is like starting to have a hankering for like old World War like. Not necessarily World War II. Okay, I was going to say. But, like, um, military first-person shooters. Mm. I mean, their campaigns are notoriously short. Yeah. Oh, so, I, know, I, I mean... Yeah, it's it's an online if, multiplayer game. With sure. a campaign tacked on. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the some of the more recent Call of Duties don't have... Ha- don't even have ...forgone one. the campaign. Yeah, right. Which, to me, is like... Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. That's... I don't know. I feel like that is actually like alienating oh, yeah. part of your audience. Yeah. I mean, I'm no doubt they have a player base that doesn't bother with the multiplayer and just wants to play through the new campaign. I'm just I ha- I'm having memories. Yeah. I'm get okay, first of all, I'm getting all this like Call of Duty swag cuz it's everywhere. Okay. Right? Monster Energy, Call right. of Duty, you know what I mean. You're being and, brainwashed. I'm getting yeah, I'm getting the dosage. <laughs> And um, I'm remembering, like, my times with Medal of Honor and those kind of games. And those are good memories. So I am kind of, like, feeling a a, a wartime military Mm. first-person shooter. They made a new Medal of Honor for Oculus, like, a year or two ago. That'd be cool. And it won, like, 
an Oscar or something like that. Yeah. Because it was like part game, part documentary or something like that. Though, yeah, the Medal of Honor series has like interstitial footage and stuff in the game. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, this it's one was like, like uniquely like, like you would listen to like some veteran or some survivor or someone's like account mm-hmm. and then you would like play that account they're, in they're like vr play their war story yeah that's cool yeah like and that is kind of unique to medal of honor yeah. it's always kind of been in that direction right. um and that one was actually made by respawn i think really produced that yeah that's that sounds really cool it's on oculus i believe it's exclusively on oculus okay. yeah so you'd have to have one of their vr headsets to experience that so are those games sold through steam or does oculus have oculus a... has their own storefront okay. Okay. yeah i didn't even or know that meta has their own storefront meta yeah <laughs> yes um all right but what, what was this other game that we got uh so another code recollect recollection recollection which is a great yeah great title I or like recollection that. you could read it that way yeah. too it's it's literally like a play on words it really is yeah um but yeah so what this is is the collector's edition of the well, trace no, no, no. what not a collector's edition um well it's a compilation right? a compilation okay there you go that's what i meant um of the trace memory franchise yes which if you anyone remembers trace memory came out on the original ds pretty early on in the ds lifespan and um, it's a game that I played that I re- remember extremely well because I was pretty young uh, when I played it. Um, it had two sequels. One sequel. One sequel. One sequel for the Wii. For the Wii. Which did not release in North America. It only released in Europe and Japan. Right. Okay. So these games were originally developed by this Japanese company called Sing. C-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. And they actually went under a few years ago. I want to say like two, three, four years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so people were wondering who who made the new game then. Right. And so it was actually Arc System Works. Okay. Who has experience uh, making similar adventure games, the Jake Hunter games. They've been around a while. Uh, Arc System Works? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're known for their fighting games. Right. Blaze Blue. Yeah. Um, but they um, also do visual novels yeah, as well. Yeah, they, they did the X-Blaze Visual yes, novels. and they're known for the, the Jake Hunter visual novels as well. Yep. Um, um, but they actually brought some back of some of the original staff back for this uh, Another Code recollection. Mm-hmm. The artist drew this incredible cover art. Yeah, oh, it's great. I love the art. Like, you have to have this physically. Yeah, oh, you yeah, have you have to. You have to. Which is another argument for why physical yeah. games... Yeah, I could not imagine... Seeing this and being like, I want to buy the digital. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, one thing about Trace Memory, and I would have to research it to really talk about it extensively, but I know, I remember that it was a girl, some girl wrote the story for the game. Uh, for the original. That might be true. Yeah, I'm not totally certain of that. Yeah. Um, I did play the demo for this that they released back in, I think it was December. Mm-hmm. And so it goes through the entirety of the first chapter of the game. And the presentation is so nice. Yeah. I mean, this is not like a port. Right. This is a from the ground up. Remake. Remake. Like totally, yeah, updated. It's going to be, again, I, I we were talking about this privately, but it's going to be interesting for me to see exactly how they handle the gameplay from the original because it was extremely touch-based. 
Like, all the puzzles, oh, yeah. running around, even movement and everything was very touch-based. It took uh, a huge amount. Like, it used the DS to its full extent. Yeah, it did. Pretty much. Oh, yeah, it did. The gyro. I mean, the Switch has some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the touch screen and the gyro. Right. the motion so, control. But the dual screen effect is definitely gone. Yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, I've heard that I haven't gone beyond the first chapter and i never played the original trace memory game Mm. um and it was only called trace memory in the u.s okay in other parts of the world it was always known as another code gotcha so that's interesting that they decided to just forgo the trace memory title over here and and call it another code Mm -hmm. um the trace memory title um this might have to do with translation but the game centered around a, a machine called Trace, which tapped into your memories or stored your memories, or you could tran- like Whoa, transpose memories. Spoilery, I, I know, but <laughs> okay. like it tied in, like the Trace memory phrase tied in oh, with the okay, actual gotcha. story. Yeah, I guess for whoever was localizing at the time, yeah. thought another code wasn't a good enough title. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, I I can. What do you think about that when? localization just says... takes liberties yeah yeah um i think like it, obviously they do it with the intent of wanting the game to sell right and also wanting it to be enjoyable to right that audience um for me it's best when the localization team is working closely with the creators mm-hmm. you yeah know? Well, almost in tandem right i think that happens more now than it did, especially back then. Yes. Where the game would come out in Japan, and then it would be 9 it'd to be, 18 months oh, later. It would be sent to a third-party company to yeah. handle the local. Like, it's... Their hands are off of it after right. they finish it. Yeah, I mean, they usually... I think what happens is they send all the text over, the text gets translated, and then the original company is responsible for, like, swapping it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like, the developer, I mean. You're right. Right. And sometimes that creates issues, but then they got to send that back to the localization team, and then they got to play through it and make right. sure there's no issues. Yeah, do like a second check. Yeah, I have heard that with games like Animal Crossing, well, more and more Japanese games are releasing day and date the same place across the board. Right. Uh, the only place that's really, that's happening with pretty much every big release. Mm-hmm. I know visual novels tend to release much later that makes sense the word count is yeah, like astronomical yeah. for some of these that, games and especially if they're voiced and yeah. you know and there's a lot of voice like yeah. it's not just like a voiced tomb raider game there's a lot more voice samples oh, yeah. in a visual novel yeah. um, um so that makes total sense yeah uh but anyways back to another code i've heard that puzzles have been changed oh. puzzles have been removed I think there might be some new puzzles, okay. and um, there have been some minor tweaks to the story as well. Earth. Nothing like earth-shattering, uh, but I heard people say that, oh, it's cl- it was clever. Like, oh, like that kind of is more makes more sense than it did gotcha. originally or something like that. I know that in the original, there were a crazy amount of endings. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, I wonder if they kept all that, or if they... I, I yeah I haven't read anything about people of like changing endings or anything or removing endings or anything like that. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I'm. It's cool because this is North America's first opportunity to play the sequel, mm. 
and uh, my first opportunity to finally get some hands on time at the series. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? You know, like, it, this almost feels like Nintendo sort of testing the water. Like, hey, are these games still, are people still interested in, you know, this kind yeah. of game? It's definitely a sign of Nintendo opening their mind to the fact that Westerners enjoy this. Yeah. Like, there is an audience here yeah. for this kind of stuff. So hopefully, you know, maybe, I don't know whether this green lights a sequel mm -hmm. or whether uh, it just, you know, like, hey, like, like, let's give more games like this right. to, you know, the world. Right. You know, we don't just have to have big AAA Mario. Mario. Yeah. Mario. More Mario. <laughs> like, give me another Code Party. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need another Mario Party. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, that's welcome too. Right. That's true. But yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, man. Whoa, Super Smash Party. How has that not happened, dude? Oh, yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah. I, it's Yeah, it's crazy that they haven't done more with the Super Smash property. Yeah. Like, like they could have, like, Super Smash Brothers Olympics or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know? for real. It can be applied so many different ways. Um, okay, so that's that's all we've been up to. Oh, no, you've got a little bit of what you've been playing, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, last week I talked about how I was uh, had just gotten to the forest and... Um, What's the region called? Kita... Kitakami. Kitakami. This is Pokemon Scarlet you're talking about, Pokemon right? Pokemon Scarlet, yeah. I was just going to say that. But um, So now I've done that photo mm -hmm. thing. Um, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, not like Pokemon Snap. Have I Yeah, I mean, have I not played the new Pokemon Snap, I might have been more impressed with it. Right. But uh, it was fun. Like, yeah. it was a good little twist on, right. on the mechanics of the game and stuff. Um the Blood Moon thing, I saw all that really cool design yeah. of it. So, um, this is Blood Moon Ursa Luna we're talking about here. Ursa Luna, yeah. So, I was not anticipating it being a new form, new form. of Ursa Luna, right? Because yes. Ursa Luna was just introduced yes. a year, like two years ago now, I guess. Right. I was expecting a Paradox Pokemon of Ursa Luna. Right. So, um, Ursa Luna, real quick for people who don't know, in Pokemon Legends Arceus... Ursaluna is a new evolution for Ursaring. Ursaring, yeah. Which, you know, pretty... And, that blew my mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not... <laughs> um, and one important, like, detail about Ursaluna is that it's very involving the phases of the moon. So mm -hmm. it can only evolve on a full moon and... When exposed even... to a block of moss. Right. Um, um, What's it I... called? It's not peat moss. Peat moss, yeah. It that is, is okay, it. it is peat moss. Um, but even in Pokemon Go... You can only evolve Ursaring on the night of a real-world full, full moon, moon. Which is a pretty clever yeah. implementation. I so like it. So th this blood moon form, yeah. right? Because the blood moon is a real thing. Right. Like that's a, a So the implication is that that can only happen when there's a blood moon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this rare form. And it's cool because Ursaluna is on all fours. Mm -hmm. But blood moon, Ursaluna stands, stands up on its up hind legs. It's all like yeah it's like five nights at freddy looking yeah. it's with, got like it's a, got like one of its eyes out <laughs> it's like werewolfy kind of yeah, yeah. Right. um which is cool and i like that it is like bipedal yeah because ursa ursaring is standing up yeah it's cool because in legends arceus you can actually like ride ursaring yeah ursa like, like normal ursaring or is, ursaluna yeah ursaluna you're right um it, ursaluna normal form is on all fours but then uh, this one's standing up, and it's... Did you notice when you were doing the battle with Blood Moon or Saluna that, like, 
they play the Legends Arceus battle music. No, I didn't. Yeah, you didn't pick up on that. I'm yeah, glad they threw some cool that. little callbacks in that there. That is cool. So yeah, I remember doing that and being like, "Oh man!" Like in the other parts of the map, there's going to be like more new forms for like yeah. the Arceus new evolutions or something. Yeah, but it's just the one. Yeah, and I like how they made the battle um, formatted like uh, the bosses in the main game. Yeah, you know, with the what were they called? titans or whatever uh oh no alpha alpha pokemon oh that well that's what they were called in uh legends, legends Arce- 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 i'm talking about in scarlet and violet when you go with arvin oh, to battle yeah, yeah, the four yeah. because it has like the big huge hp bar yeah, right yeah. and yeah. then you have that catch option at the end yeah guaranteed yeah um yeah it that's always out, like, nice <laughs> yeah yeah I'm glad they made that change. Because then you can pick up whatever ball you want to pick. Exactly. And you don't have to worry about it getting wasted. So there is no... By the way, like, that's the only Blood Moon or Saluna you can get. Uh, So far, yeah. Yeah, like, it's not available. You can't find them in the wild or anything like that. Right. I mean, of course it's going to come to Pokemon Go. Of course there will be future ways of getting it. Yeah, I'm sure they'll probably... That'd be cool if they tie it in with a real Blood Moon. Yeah. Which I don't know how... What are those, like, one or two a year? Yeah, it's like if a even, phenomenon. Yeah. It's like a eclipse almost. Yeah. Like it's a rare thing. Um, but anyways, yeah, really cool stuff. Uh, beyond that, I went and finally just went and did the third sign, which I had already journeyed to, so I already had like the marker on my map to fly okay. to it. So now I'm back, and I'm starting to see unfold what you had talked to me about initially with Kieran. Kieran. Yeah. Starting to get dark. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's starting to reveal itself more. Okay, cool. Um but now I'm back and I'm about to walk into the civic center. Okay. And that's where I saved. Okay. Very cool. So, you know, keep us updated. I'm excited to yeah. talk more about it with oh, you. Oh yeah. You did a good job uh not spoiling. Yeah, I'm, try- I'm the really Ursula trying thing. not to. If I don't know exactly what you're talking about, I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah, right. Because uh, I don't remember... I remember going to the Civic Center, but I don't remember like what part exactly you're in. So I'm just going to... I found all three signs. So okay. that whole quest is So done. each of the signs were related to one of the, the hero Pokemon? It's more like they told a different big story detail okay. about the three Pokemon right. rather than one being about each. Cause correct me if I'm wrong. The, the town considers these three Pokemon to be like their protectors, right? Correct. And, and there's this, and the ogre, ogre pond, ogre pond is, is like a, the monster, the villain. Yeah. yeah. The villain. Right. Has the story kind of revealed anything about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, the girl, his sister. Yeah. Carmine. Carmine. I can't remember this stuff. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I really like the the characters of this particular game. So I'm, and I've just played the epilogue that involved all of them. So mm-hmm. their names are kind of fresh in my head. That makes sense. Um, yeah, we had that talk with her grandfather, mm-hmm. who was they were looking for masks to go to the festival. The festival, yeah. And uh, that's when. Oh, did that you play Ogre Austin? I did, and that okay. was actually really fun. So we, we need want... to do some of that cooperatively. Okay. Because if I forget, if you can do it on the hardest difficulty, you get a guaranteed shiny Munchlax. What really? Yeah. Oh shoot. Um. So at some point, but I understand you can't do it on your own. Like it's not possible to do the hard mode and achieve the score that you need to achieve. It's not humanly possible, or the game doesn't allow it. 
Uh, it's more like it's not humanly possible. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, like the AI helpers are just like not Too good, good enough. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay, yeah, yeah, we could do. I'm that not sometime. even sure if it's possible with two players only. I heard that like in one of the more recent patches, it made it a little easier. Okay, so maybe it's something we can do. Um, but yeah, that is something I would like to get around to. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just did it the one time for the story. Yeah, me too. It was fun. Yeah, like I thought it was fun once you understood. Yeah, how, how like the squovits or whatever the grievance, right. like how that works. Yeah. Um, for a while, I was running around looking where to put the seeds or whatever. <laughs> Couldn't and had no clue. Isn't it like where you start? Uh, it's you it's it back to? very close to where you oh, start, okay. but I I didn't see them. You start like in front of the tables, so you never unless you look behind you. So you we're talking about like this mini game, yeah. In the, the first DLC <laughs> of the Scarlet and Violet uh, DLC combo, yeah. Um, where you basically go and collect these items, and you got to bring it back to this like basket or table or something but meanwhile while you're color coded too right while you're collecting them pokemon are coming to like take the the food or whatever that you've collected out of the basket so you have to like balance scaring them away and also collecting at the same time you have to like multitask with that yeah um Um, and but you can get some cool you can get these mochi items that will they work kind of like the feathers do. Right. I have know. some of that stuff in mind. But one of the mochis, which I think is more rare, will actually reset, like, your EVs in a particular stat. Like, completely. Oh, wow. So, those can be helpful when you need to, like, reconfigure a Pokemon for, mm-hmm. like, a 7-star raid or something like right. that. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that is helpful to have. Um, are we ready to move on? Yeah, let's move okay. on. So what have we been up to um, this past week? We got every single episode thus far of the Bit Beacon broadcast uploaded on YouTube yep. as a podcast playlist. So you can now just search for uh, the Bit Beacon on mm-hmm. YouTube. I think our address is youtube.com slash at the Bit Beacon or something like that. Something like that. You um, just search the Bit Beacon. Yeah, it's actually, I noticed if you look for the Bit Beacon broadcast, like YouTube seems to get prioritized. Like, I mean, it makes sense because right, Google's yeah. going to prioritize their stuff. Their stuff, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can find us there now. Uh, every week, I'm going to make sure that episode gets into the playlist. It won't be uploaded at the same exact time that the regular podcast goes live, but my goal is to have it up that same day. Yeah. It's a bit more work on my part. I have to turn the audio into a video. Um, not too challenging, well, but it's a, it just takes a little more time. I mean, like I say, we can tag team that effort. Yeah, it's it's just I can't time it the same yeah. way, you know, like the podcast goes live universally on all yeah. platforms pretty much. But um, the podcast I It's have still to... I mean it's still good that we have it on YouTube cuz some people just aren't on Spotify or aren't on Apple. I podcast. think a lot of PC gamers they like to just have like a little window in the yeah. back open with something going on on YouTube in the background. Yeah. So It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there now. You can find us one more place. There's no actual video. Yeah. It's, to... it's, an, it's just an image of our yeah, logo. It's just the logo is playing for the whole hour and a half, two hours, whatever the duration is of the podcast. Right. So don't get too excited. Yeah, yeah. We're not showing our faces, guys. Um, although most of you probably know what we look like. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and then something... Uh, an event that I think you might be interested in. It's not exactly an event event, mm-hmm. but uh, right before you got here and we started recording, uh, Square Enix announced that Final Fantasy VII Advent Children Director's Cut is coming to theaters in the U.S. Oh, wow. for the first time for two nights in February. 
in English one night and then the original Japanese the next night. And so with subtitles? Yeah, with subtitles. Cool. Um, and so uh, this is, I guess, the first time the director's cut has ever been in theaters in the U.S. And they're timing it for some reason to come out right before Final Fantasy Rebirth Part 2 comes out. Okay. Um, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and they did release a small statement about this re-release of this movie. And I'll let you speak to the, what the movie is in yeah, a second because sure. you know all about it. <laughs> I'm holding myself um, back. So they Square Enix said this. This release marks the first time the beloved director's cut will be given a theatrical run. Fans are encouraged to arrive early to their showings for exclusive introductory content, including a history of Final Fantasy VII and its connection to Final Fantasy VII Advent Children in particular. Witness gameplay from Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and enjoy new interviews with Final Fantasy VII Advent Children director and Final Fantasy VII Remake creative director Tetsuya Nomura, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth director Naoki Hamaguchi and producer Yoshinori Katase, who will give unique insight into the production of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and the remake project as a whole. Yeah, wow. Um, so I don't know. Is that something you're interested in? Yeah, we have to go do it. The showings, I think, are at 7 p.m. And then it sounds like the introductory stuff will maybe be in the half an hour or so before then or something like that. Okay, yeah. Let's uh, plan for that. Okay. Um, Um, so I'm going to say that the English version is good. Yeah. Like the English voice actor. I mean, I'm down to see it in whatever language you prefer. Okay. I mean, I am curious if... It doesn't say anything about them redubbing it with the new voice actors that mm-hmm. they've got for the Rebirth that project. Would, uh, I don't know if I don't know if I'd want them to do that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I want them to do that either. Right. But I wasn't sure if they were like re-releasing it to somehow tie it into the Rebirth pro- or the remake project mm-hmm. as a whole, or or what? Because uh, you know they did re-release Crisis Core last year pretty much untouched i think they made some adjustments to the gameplay to make it better balance yeah stuff. more balanced yeah um but they didn't change any of the story content the way that the remake games have mm-hmm. but the second remake game rebirth right features uh zach apparently mm-hmm. very heavily somehow yeah okay um so i don't i mean obviously they wanted people to be familiar with zach from crisis core Right. Which is canonically set before the events of Final Fantasy VII. Correct. So, um, yeah. That's, yeah. That so sense. that makes me wonder, like, hey, why are they releasing Advent Children right before? Even though Advent Children takes place after. Zach shows up in Ad, um, Advent Children, but as, like, a memory. Sure. Along with Aerith. And, right. Know. You know, spoilers. But, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, not really. I know. It's, if you don't know... About Final Fantasy VII's big spoilers oh, yet. Yeah. If you haven't played Final Fantasy VII yet, guys, um, I'm not going to spoil it, but some characters die. Yeah, and so like this re- this second remake game, Rebirth, yeah. is the game where that character famously dies in the original Final Fantasy VII. Right. So this game is going to feature that scene, but they've been... Uh, cagey on whether it will play out the same way. how it did. Yeah. Will another character die? Will they right. die again? You know, so I mean, this is where Final Fantasy VII Remake Project can go like, yeah, in another direction completely. Right. Which I hope it doesn't. I really hate that crap. 
I'm like, and that's just me. I know it's a preference. I'm not. Well, again, remake. I I've said this before. I don't think it means remake like in the traditional. Like, I know. Western I know. Sense. You have your whole hypothesis. I yeah. mean, you've said it before. I, I think. mean, they've changed. Like it's it's already kind of veered off in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, there's like some I don't know. I haven't I haven't played it, but stuff I've, gone. I've heard about this. Um, um, I don't, I don't. Everyone seems to be like doing the same thing right now. What, in that which regard. is like uh, Mortal Kombat One is kind of doing the same thing. You know that where they're taking the original story. I guess they. I mean, I can only assume they, like, painted themselves in a corner with their original storyline. Okay. So it seems like everyone's just going back and remaking their original story, but with a twist, you know, and it's just... I uh, mean, I would... If if you're talking about anybody but Square Enix, mm-hmm. I'd agree with you. But, like, the guys at Square Enix, especially the Final Fantasy people, yeah. they're on, like... They're thinking, like, three steps ahead of, like, the yeah. fans and stuff, you know? Right. Like, with all the crazy theories. And uh, I I think, yeah, I mean, if I had to guess, that character is going to die again. And that they're just playing up the, like, yeah. ooh, what's going to happen, yeah. you know? They, they know how you're thinking. Right. Okay, I have a hypothetical question for you. Yeah. This would be, like, crazy. What if instead of Aerith, like, Cloud dies? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, that would turn it into a completely different right. game. And then, like, Aerith becomes the protagonist. Like, yeah, the protagonist. Or Zack. Or, I mean, Zack is presumably dead. In the remake already? Well, Crisis Core seems to be canon to the remake. Okay. But the other games aren't. Well... Like, okay. Because Crisis Core takes place before the remake project begins. Right. So... Okay, yeah, I, I got you. Okay, yeah. so, so the game that came, well, games, I guess. Cause... We haven't seen anything to indicate that Zack is playable or anything like that. Okay, gotcha. At least not yet. Right. I mean, maybe there's flashback sequences where he is or something. Uh, is Vincent playable in the remake already? I believe not part one. So okay. Rebirth, I we'll believe. Yeah, they've showed like the scene where they're in the tomb or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Where oh, taking the... opening his coffin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's cool. They've showed some cool like so I, this is what it looked like on PS One, and this is what it looks yeah, like. On yeah, PS1. They, yeah. <laughs> um, even in uh, Advent Children, in the original DVD, maybe not the original DVD, but definitely the director's cut. They had like this whole thirty-minute video that you could watch as like an additional thing where it's like doing a basically like a showcase of every cinematic okay from like the original final fantasy 7 to kind of catch you up okay and kind of doing what that's talking about with like doing like a comparison okay and um they do a lot of that they show the character side by side It, it does really look like the rebirth game which is the second game in the remake project mm-hmm it has like a much larger cast yeah. than part one of the remake project has. Final Fantasy VII has a lot of characters, yeah. and I'm sure this remake's introducing new ones too. Yeah, I think there's a lot of new like uh, Shinra people yeah, okay. in the game. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. They've introduced some new Shinra people, and the Turks are another faction. Yeah. Um, apparently, like there's new towns. 
Square Enix has said The Witcher 3 served as inspiration for oh. Rebirth. That's a pretty big game, right? Yeah. And so, like, I guess now that uh, in, you know, Remake, the first part of the Remake story, mm-hmm. is largely set in, um, what's the original town called? Uh, Midgar. Midgar. You know, where the Shinra Corporation yeah. and all the big, you know... The big power plant. The flattening. Yeah. <laughs> the the sapping the, the yeah. life energy. Um, and so from there, at the end of the game, they kind of, like, go off into the wilds. Okay. And so I guess they're really going, like, big. Like, they're adding, like, new towns that didn't exist mm-hmm. in the original game. Uh, things like that. That's cool. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that's... That's expansive. I like yeah. that. I just, I don't know. I hope they don't. I think if they're going to change stuff, they better have a good reason, like a good excuse right. why. I mean, I think you should reserve judgment until you've played all three parts. Yeah, I got yeah. you. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think fair. I think there's potential for something cool to happen and almost like tie. It. I know. I'm thinking like big picture. And you're mm-hmm. thinking more like this is a stand. This is your typical remake crap, where they just change things yeah. and add things. Well, everyone else is, seems right. to be doing that, and but they I, seem to think it's just okay. And everyone, you know, everyone's cool with this, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think Square Enix. I think they're kind of in agreement with you. That's why they held off on remaking Seven for like there was yeah. always this demand. Do you remember we were at P, uh, PSX one year when they f- originally announced yeah. Final? Th- I mean, the crowd in that no, room. No, like, they didn't. They didn't announce that. They showed something else for Final Fantasy VII. They, uh, were, they were bringing oh, yeah. Final Fantasy VII to like PSN or something. Yeah, <laughs> and, and everyone like it was the biggest letdown. Like, People like got out of their seats when like the logo came up, and then it yeah. just shows the PS One game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for PS4. And then it announces at the end of the trailer or whatever that it's just coming to PSN. Coming to PS4. <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> like, ah. No. But then it was like a year later, yeah. I think, where they announced the remake project. I don't know if that told Square Enix that they needed to do it or if they already had planned to do it. I mean, I'm get if it was if it was actually just one year later, then there's no way they weren't already working on yeah. it. But uh, if it was multiple years later, then yeah, I, I yeah. would not be shocked if that the people in the room were like... It was so visible. Yeah. But like, that's the fervor yeah. of Final Fantasy oh, yeah. VII, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, people want to gobble that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, people wanted the remake. Yeah. And now they got it. And yeah. not just one. They got three parts. They better not butcher eight, man. They... So, like, if one day they do an 8 remake? Well, what if they do, like, more of a straight remake? Yeah, I'd be to- totally down with that. Okay, because wanna... 7 is, yeah, they seem to be playing with they're it. They're playing with it, for yeah. sure. Um, I don't know if It's they're... making me nervous. Yeah. But, yeah, if they did, like, a straight remake and just... Well, rumor has it Final Fantasy Nine is getting a from-the-ground-up, straightforward remake. Okay, that's cool. Well, that yeah. game deserves that. Yeah. So, um... That we should be hearing about, yeah, soon. I mean, I feel like it's it's been like two years. There was this during the pandemic. There was this Nvidia leak mm-hmm. where they leaked like all these games that were coming out in like the next couple of years. Yeah, and um, on there was like a Tactics remake, a Final Fantasy IX remake, 
Um, really? Is. And a bunch of stuff that actually all came true. So there's only like a couple things that have yet to be like scratched off this checklist. A tactics remake, it's about time. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes people say like, oh, they put out these remakes to test the waters to see if people are interested in them. Mm-hmm. And so like publishers or like developers are like, well, you got to buy the remake if you want like a new game in the tactics series. Mm. But understandably, players are like, I don't want to buy... A remake. A remake. Just yeah. make a new game. Yeah. And the reason they do the remake is because the story's already there, the yeah. foundation is there, so it's just like... It's less of an investment for them. Yeah. So it's like, that's them testing the waters, so... I don't know. Part of me is like... You, like, you, you're you damned if you do, because then yeah. you're throwing your money away for a game maybe you're not right. going to play, because you want to play, like, a new game in the series. Yeah. But at the same time, if you don't, then you're ensuring... That you never get that new game. But you basically have to buy a game twice. I think remakes... I'm Okay, I'm for remakes and I hear everything you're saying. Yeah. And I, I do agree that, like, remakes... I agree with the solution that remakes present. Okay. Um, I think they could stand to do more with some of the remakes. Like, give us a remake from the ground up, but give us some new content at the end or something. Okay. Like, something... Post-game stuff that doesn't affect what happened in the original game. Right. Or it could add to it, but doesn't change. Okay. Like, you know... Nothing significantly. Right. Like, all the core beats still happen. Yes. Everything that happened and is established... Right. ...happened. Okay. ...and is established. Okay. And then, you know, maybe there's something else that happens at the end or something. Okay. You know, or something like that. Okay. You know... Um, yeah, give us more than okay. just the same game. Right. Okay, I, I see that. Um, but yeah, that's I just... mean, that's what they were doing with the Final Fantasy Advance games. They were tacking on, like, yeah. new story stuff, post-game, optional yep. dungeons that weren't there originally, yeah. new well, gear. A lot of remakes have done what I'm yeah. saying. I think that was easier to do with pixel graphics mm. than it is now. I want to say, uh, the, uh... Ocarina of Time 3D did have some additional stuff. It might have been like one area or something. Um, so you're talking about the one for 3DS, right? right? Yeah. Um, I know there were there was like some hidden like if you move this one box, there was like a little mural of like uh, Link on one of the sky wings from Skyward oh, Sword. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like there was like little Just, Easter eggy yeah, kinds of things. Stuff like that. I don't know that there was. I mean, like, that's that is still content. But yeah. yeah. If it's a new mode or something is yeah. what I'm talking about. Or, or like, a brand new dungeon or well, something Well, I mean, like so you know now what people are got to be clamoring for, right? Like, final, they finally got in Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. being remade from the ground up right. for, like, today's, like, consoles. Right. I mean, so where's Ocarina of Time's, like... not Because Ocarina of Time on 3DS was basically a straight remake. Yeah, it was ground up. Yeah. But, like... I mean, I... You know, the dungeons were all the same. I don't trust the Zelda writers the same way I trust the Square Enix writers. Okay. Okay? They've messed some stuff up. That Hyrule Historia thing, no. Mm. You, they discredited them, themselves with me. <laughs> like, that was so bad. Yeah, I... I mean, I see, I don't envision if Nintendo does, like, a from-the-ground-up, like... Like, Hyrule Field is now this big open world... I mean, it was already an open map right i would call it but let's say hyrule field is now like 20 times as big right and there's like little houses like, and villages and stuff all twilight over the place Pri- twilight princess size even bigger 
want bigger. <laughs> I don't want bigger. But I mean, like, you, you have Final Fantasy Seven Re- Rebirth doing a Witcher Three style open world. Now. Yeah, uh, yeah. True. Um, so I mean, like, if Nintendo's gonna go like big, mm-hmm. and like, and not not take the Final Fantasy remake path and make it three different games, right? And just make one big Ocarina of Time remake. I mean, is there enough in Ocarina of Time to warrant fleshing out something that big? Like, I don't think there is. Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like, they both came out around the same time, right? Final Fantasy VII and Ocarina of Time. More within a couple less, years of each other. a few years, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think they were, like, the two biggest games they were. of their era. They for were. Sure. Uh, Those two and Doom, I think, were, like, the... Doom's early 90s. Uh, yeah, it was, but I think those were kind of competing for the title. Okay. Bit. I think GoldenEye, too, was in there. Oh, GoldenEye's a big one, yeah. Um... So, I don't know, yeah, I am curious, the team that remastered, or that made uh, Ocarina of Time 3D, with mm-hmm. the 3DS, they went on to do uh, the Link's Awakening remake. Yeah, which was good. Yeah, and that's, their their team name is Grezzo, G-R-E-Z-Z-O, they've been quiet ever since yeah. um, Link's Awakening, which was already like four years ago, yeah. I think, three or four years ago. Um, so people are like, I don't know, sp- they're probably working on another Zelda remake of some kind. Yeah. Seems likely. Um, I think the next obvious step is remaking the Oracle games. The, which I, I would love that. I, yeah. If they want to use the same kind of toy look of Link's Awakening, I'd be down for that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was shocked that we didn't get those. Mm-hmm. Like already, like right. I was like, you already have this cool new yeah thing that you made this you know you know look yeah. this right. look for the game. So why not just easily do the other two Game Boy games? Right. Um, and I mean, the Game Boy graphics between Link's Awakening and those two games were pretty close. Yeah, like they the assets and stuff looked yeah pretty much the same. Yeah, there's I mean they could go I guess for a slightly different identity. I mean I understand with Link's Awakening. Spoiler alert, Link wakes up at the end and it's all a right, dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hence, Link's Awakening. Yeah, <laughs> the, game, um, the game's only freaking 30 years old. Um, but, uh, and I guess that kind of maybe made sense for the toy look. Like yeah. Link was having like a weird yeah. dream, you know? Um, so I, maybe yeah. they would want to go with a different visual identity for Oracle of Ages and Seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, if they're not doing that, yeah. I think they could be remaking Ocarina of Time. I would, you know what I would rather see them do? What? Work on an original Zelda game. Right. A more traditional. Yeah. So they could have Grezzo making like... A top-down Zelda game. Either that or something more like uh, Ocarina of Time. You know what they should do, dude? Forget, okay, the Oracle, I mean, Oracle of Ages is my favorite Zelda game. Okay. Um... Yeah, I've said that. That's right. You didn't yeah. hear wrong, guys. Um, uh, I don't. I don't think no one's gonna fight you on that. Yeah. No one's gonna say like you're an idiot. Right. I mean, yeah, but no one's calling that one the best. But regardless, well, you didn't call it the best. You said it's your favorite. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, I think they should do Link to the Past. We in that style. That would I would be down for that too. Um, Link to the Past has 
gotten yeah, it's gotten a lot more, of attention. Yeah, it's got more attention. You're right. On the Game Boy Advance, it got uh, a remake. It wasn't a straight port because uh, they did use all new art assets mm-hmm. for it. Even though it did bring maintain a sort of visual parody with the original Super Nintendo game. There were Minish Cap. Minish being, Cap being be in cool. that style. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, we have the main Zelda team working on these crazy, huge Zelda games now. Right. That are... That's going to open up, like, a void, right? Exactly. Where people are now missing the traditional Zelda experience. Smaller, top-down. Or even just the, the original 3D style. Right. Where it was, like, dungeons and stuff. Right. And there, there's not really dungeons in Breath of the Wild and... Tears of the Kingdom, right. not in the traditional sense that players are used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be cool to see a new 3D, like a, a double A Zelda, I guess, whatever you want to call it, instead of the triple A one. Right. I think, of course, it's probably easier to just remake more of the older top-down games. Right. And I'd be fine if they did that. I could use a new Four Swords game. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Like, bring that stuff back. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's get in the news. <laughs> yeah, we may have to cut some of this news out uh, because we've been talking for an hour yeah, already. Yeah. About um, nothing. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. Um, all right, so this first topic, got more Square Enix yep. stuff. I hope you guys aren't tired of it. Well, um, <laughs> we just made our thing about Square Enix, right. and now we're going to talk about Well, I know about Rick them. loves Square yeah. Enix, oh, yeah. so like, if I have that in the news, yeah. if, he's going to be... If they show up in the news cycle, put them in. Yeah, okay, well, you've got a directive. <laughs> um, so this in particular is about... Uh, Square Enix had their investors meeting sometime recently, and they put out uh, the Q&A that takes place at the end of the investors meeting, where basically the president responds to questions from the audience at the at the meeting and to be in this meeting you have to be invested at such a level that you're able to get invited we to don't it. know how much it is yeah. but it's a lot yeah you have to be like a high level investor right um so we're gonna go through these questions one at a time rick will read the question and i'll read uh takashi kiryu's answer all right so that Takashi Kiryu is the CEO of Square Enix. Who we were talking about. Yeah, we were talking about him in last week. I think. Uh, well, last week we tacked on the segment that we oh, recorded right, from yeah. the previous that's episode. Right. Okay, so um, first question. What is required to execute the productivity-enhancing initiatives that will bolster the profitability of your HD games sub-segment? And how will you go about executing those? He says, at present, some of our development efforts are carried out primarily by internal resources, while others are conducted primarily by external development firms. Over the long term, we need to strengthen the internal portion of our development function. More specifically, I mean that we need to concentrate our development resources on carefully selected new titles that we will develop to a high level of quality. At the same time, Rather than focusing solely on major titles, we want to also take on new challenges, partly because we want to add to the diversity of our portfolio of titles. As I noted earlier, while also enabling our developers to expand their skill sets. Through this approach, we hope to strengthen our internal development capabilities, gain greater development proficiency, and establish a development function that enables us to consistently produce high-quality games 
thereby bolstering our profitability. Mm -hmm. So what do you take away from that? Um, The part that stands out to me the most is um, when he's talking about, instead of focusing solely on major titles, Mm -hmm. they want to take on new challenges, partly because they want to add on to the diversity of their portfolio of titles. Yeah, so that's the exact sentence that I took away, too. Yeah. Um, Not to spoil anything, but in one of the later answers, you'll see him start talking about the market dichotomy between indie and AAA titles. Yeah. And I think that he's noticing, like... There's a market for this, and there's a market for this. And an indie game has the potential to rival a AAA sure. title in, yeah. in some cases. And so I think he's seeing that as a sort of shift, which we talked a lot about shifts in our last conversation. I mean, we've seen recently, just this past week, there's this hot new game called Pal World. Yeah. Oh, I heard about this. That's yeah. blowing. It's it's. Not marketed by the company as Pokemon with guns. But it is that. But, I mean, that's kind of like the image that they give you. Right. And it's not exactly that. Yeah, it's survival and here's, you know, cooking and Right, and you can kill the monsters for, like, meat and products. It's it's Pokemon meets, like, Monster Hunter, basically, in a way. Yeah. With guns. Um, And anyways, this game has exploded. Yeah. Um, Like, we're talking five million copies in, like, three days. Right. Like, from no one ever having heard of this game mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Right. To it being, like, the biggest game on the planet right now. Right. And you got companies like Square Enix that are probably looking at this like... Yeah. What we, the heck? Yeah. And so when they're talking about this, like, double-A or, like, indie kind of mm-hmm. game, they're probably wanting to see more stuff like that and maybe their portfolio. Right. Um, another example of, like, because that, that happened now, but... Five Nights at Freddy's, the original, yeah. was made by one dude, yeah. and it was a very indie game. Yeah. You, if you play it, it looks indie as hell. Uh, and look at that now. Yeah, now it's got movies, there's yeah. merch everywhere books. for that game. Authors are writing books. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that guy yeah. is set. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's no question anymore that indies can do what AAA does. Right. Um, and yeah, he's seeing that as like, hey, this is... He's actually smart, and we see with a lot of... Let's wait till we get to that question. Okay, yeah, sure. Why don't you read the next question? Sure. Um, Has the way that your development function... um, I don't know if this is typed correctly. This is copy-pasted exactly from the Q&A. Has the way that your development function has spread to cover so many bases made controlling your development efforts more difficult? So what is he saying here? I don't know. Okay, let's break it down. As the way your development function has spread to cover so many... Okay, so basically, in the previous thing, he's kind of saying that maybe they've spread themselves thin across a lot of games. Right. So now this this investor is asking, um, has it made it more difficult to be spread so thin is basically, I think, what he's saying. I can test that that's what he's saying in the previous one because he's talking about wanting to diversify their portfolio further. With more Right. Well, let's continue. So, he says, It has less to do with our development function and more to do with the numerous entries in our lineup. I want to structure our development function so that we are able to ensure higher quality from each title by slimming down our lineup. So, that is about slimming down. So, he's saying we want to make less games 
mm-hmm. but also a greater variety of games. Right. Okay. So, so this this is this is the thing that like jumps out at me the most because in recent years Square Enix has been putting out a lot of really interesting what I would call double A kind of mid tier games. Right. That's true. Uh, we've got like Harvestella, which is like Rune Factory slash Harvest Moon meets action RPG. Mm-hmm. We've had the Deal Field Chronicles. We've got like the Octopath games. Right. You know, like they're not like AAA. I mean, some of them might be AAA in budget, mm-hmm. but you know, like they don't sell or like they're not marketed like a AAA, like right. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth right, is, you right. know? Um, and I think it's really cool to see Square Enix making a lot of these games. You also have a lot of spin-offs, I noticed, that kind of fall in line with that double-A kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at Dragon Quest right now. Yeah. You know, um, with Builders or whatever it was called. Yeah, Builders was actually wildly successful yeah. for them. And then, for whatever reason, after making the second one, they just decided, yeah. here's this wildly successful thing that players love and it's making us a lot of money. <laughs> right. Let's stop making them. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, they put out... They put out this game called Dragon Quest Treasures, mm-hmm. which was not very good. Uh, but they did just put out Dragon Quest Monsters 3. Right. Well, that's not what it's called here in the States, but that is what it's called over in Japan. Right. And that's been doing really well for them. They just announced a million copies sold in just a month. Right. Which is pretty good. But yeah, I mean, a lot of spinoffs and a lot of smaller, t- like yeah. original titles. So I think that's... I, I like that stuff. Yeah, I do too. So this... But this is him saying we want to move away from that. We want more high-quality... We want higher quality, less mid-quality. But what is quality? Is it scope? Like, Um, you know. I mean, I think those games that I mentioned, they have a budget feel or look to them. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not, you know, they're a little clunky. Like, not like unplayable, but like, they're just not, they don't have that polish. They don't have that extra year of polish that like some of the bigger games get. Okay. Because like you're talking about like Octopath Traveler when you say that, not so much Octopath Traveler, but more like Dragon Quest Monsters Three, for example. Okay, yeah. That game is not a looker. Mm-hmm. It's a little sluggish. It's a little clunky. Yeah. Um, but it's still an enjoyable experience. Right. So that's why it's doing well. Right. Um, I mean, also Dragon Quest just almost sells universally in Japan. Yeah. So, but I mean, it actually is a good game. Right. Unlike Dragon Quest: The Adventures of Dai. Yeah. The anime game that came out earlier last year, well, which that, we'll talk that, about. We have yeah, a whole question from an investor. Um, so, what's the next question? Next question. Uh, as our customers... N- nope, that's the answer. Oh, sorry, my bad. Um, have you been unable to slim down your lineup until now? Why have you been unable? Sorry. <laughs> um, so, why, why has Square Enix been unable to slim down their lineup? Uh, Kiryu says, as our customers' needs and the types of devices available have diversified, we have tried to produce hits by developing a wide variety of titles rather than by focusing only on certain ones. I believe that this has resulted in the splintering of our resource pool. Meanwhile, there have been clear winners and losses among the major titles released recently in the gaming market, and it has become possible for even indie titles to make their presence felt. The market is increasingly polarized between blockbuster and indies titles, but I feel that we have developed many titles that fell somewhere in the middle. I want to make clearer distinctions going forward. So, I mean, that's almost... There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. He doubles down on wanting to make less games. Right. 
Um, he so this is the one that I had mentioned, obviously, um, about him talking about indies, right? Um, he says he wants to make a clear distinction between small and big games, basically. So, like I said, they've been releasing a lot of like double A games, yeah, or, like mid sized games. I would, I mean, I feel like that's a spectrum, yeah. I mean, but he's saying, like, they want to do away with their mid-size and either make small games or big games, games, it sounds like. So rather than have these mid-games that fall somewhere in between, like, he just wants to be a zero or a hundred. Yeah. Um, So I'm interested to see what that means. Yeah. Like, in the long term. Right. I... Some head-scratchers can hear you lately. I don't know how I feel about that. Um... So, and I, I wonder, is he saying they want to try to make something that feels like an indie game? Yeah, I'm not liking that either, because we have seen <laughs> that happening quite a bit. Um, we've seen, like, big AAA studios come out with pixel art games that are, well, like, intended to fool you almost. Square Enix has seen some success with an indie game that they sort of put under their own umbrella mm-hmm. by publishing it. Right. On behalf of another developer, and that would be Power Wash Simulator. Right. This game has actually taken off like really well. It's led to all kinds of cool like third party collaborations where you're like you're power washing the DeLorean from Back to the Future and yeah. like all kinds of crazy stuff. That's crazy. Um I think they even have like a level where what's Cloud's bike? Oh, um Fenrir. Yeah, like you're power washing Fenrir, yeah. you know. Um and I guess people really like that game. I've heard good things about it. It's apparently like a very kind of like soothing and just kind of like distressing yeah. game because you're just like being very mathematical and like with like you know you're supposed to manage how much water you're using and like you know clean <laughs> power wash things. <laughs> All yeah. right. Uh, it was free on PlayStation Plus. I think this last month, either December or this current month, mm-hmm. I claimed it, but I haven't checked it out. Gotcha. But apparently, it's it's. It's cool. Yeah. Um, cool. And so, yeah, Square Enix has seen success publishing that. Um, and so maybe they're wanting to get maybe more involved. Mm-hmm. Maybe not making the indie games themselves, but maybe helping. They have an indie initiative. Yeah. Do you remember what it's called? No, I don't. But, yeah, they help fund, or not, I don't know if it's fund or help, like, promote, like, indie games. But there's this specific Square Enix indie initiative. I remember we looked into it a long oh, time yeah. ago. I, it Sarah rings Penn. a bell. Um. And so I think that's where they found Power Wash Simulator. Um, but yeah, they got more invested into that game than I think they have any under, any other indie project. Gotcha. Even so, I think that has like a physical release even from them now. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm not against that. No. I'm, you know, I'm not talking down about that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This this is concerning. I don't like that he wants to move away from mid-sized games. No, I don't either. I like mid-sized games. They're usually smaller they yeah. don't take as much of my time right it's yeah i mean why why do this yeah um one game that kind of comes to mind that i played fairly recently something a, a decent chunk of world of final fantasy right um that's that, definitely a mid that would be a mid yeah. yeah i mean the game is like seven years old now yeah it is but i mean yeah i it's good. There should be more of those. Yeah. Yeah. Not less of them. Right. Or as many as they make now, they should continue making yeah. that many. Uh, I, so, yeah, it'll be disappointing to me if we see Square Enix go the route that I feel like a lot of other publishers and developers have gone, where we're getting one 
maybe two new games from them every console generation. Yeah, but the games are so damn huge right. that you're going to be playing it that long. But it's like, what if that... So, like, a developer, Square Enix, spends, you know, all their resources on three huge games rather than one huge game and, like, five mid-sized games or right. something like that. Right. So then now you have less games overall and, like, not... You have less games that might potentially appeal to you too. Yeah, like they might they might put out a big game and you're like, oh, it's not for me. Right. It's like, well, that team seven years of work right. is just you know not for you. Not for you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I no, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I I don't know. I want there to be mid-sized games. I'm with you on that. I don't feel like I want more. I don't feel shorted with how many games are coming out. Right. So it's not... I mean, it seems where he's coming from is, like, maybe some of our bigger games haven't done as well because we're distracted yeah. with these mid-size and smaller games. Right. So I'd rather not have these mid-size games so those efforts can be spent on our bigger games. Right. Which, yeah, I don't know if that's the right move. No, I, d I don't either. Yeah. I don't think it is. Kiryu's taken a lot of bets. Yeah, he is. He's he's really <laughs> this guy is changing stuff up. Um, like I said last in that conversation we had that aired at the end of last week's episode. Yeah, I really think his tenure could be incredibly short or incredibly, incredibly long. long. You yeah, know, depending on if his bets pay out big. We've seen CEOs stay on board permanently. Um, like for decades yeah for decades from yeah. from some big thing that they did one time right um so that is i, I think it's you. more common in japan for ceos to be there for a long time mm -hmm. it's not so much like western where ceos change like all the time every other year right um like you know we saw so, i mean some, some i mean bobby kodak was activision ceo forever yeah i mean he was also like the owner right so yeah. i mean <laughs> true but I mean, he, he have, could have been have, fired by the board. You have those yeah. two, though. Yeah, uh, that's true. So it's yeah, it's not exclusive to Japan. But yeah, I feel like some companies, like every year, they just. I mean, I guess yeah. if they're struggling, you tend to see CEOs change yeah, more frequently, right? Because they're like trying. They're to trying find the right guy. Yeah, they're they're just trying to like find something that works. Yeah. Um. So we got one more question uh, that we wanted to highlight from this yes. Q and A. So my impression is that. Uh, is that the market's reaction to Infinity Strash Dragon Quest The Adventures of Die um, has been harsh. What is your take on it internally? You mentioned, uh, you mentioned that you intend to transition from a product-oriented approach to a market-oriented approach. Can we expect better quality to result from a narrowing in the gap between what the market and your customers expect? versus what you are delivering? Kiryu replied with this. We have received harsh feedback from our cus from customers on Infinity Strash, Dragon Quest, The Adventure of Die. Side note, I've heard people call it Infinity Trash. Yeah. <laughs> and we also acknowledge that problems exist. We think that the time that elapsed between the anime's broadcast and the game's release, as well as the gap between what customers expected from the content versus the game's elements that we focused on as the title's selling points, also contributed to the feedback that we received. In terms of switching from a product-oriented to a market-oriented development approach, 
I would note that in the case of our smart device games, we have begun to reflect feedback from custom customers that have played titles ahead of their release into our development process. We are also working to put mechanisms in place that allow to incorporate customer feedback on HD games in the initial stages of development. All right, so this this tells me two things here. Mm-hmm. They're switching from making, from focusing on the product to instead focusing on the market and making a game for the market right. rather than just making the game that they hope the market will want. Right. So you could see that negatively or you could see that maybe positive. I, I actually am glad that's a good explanation of what that means because I actually didn't know what the difference was. Okay. But um, uh, as far as the uh, Infinity Strash Dragon Quest game, I actually don't know anything about it. So it's but, based on so a manga from like the '90s or something like that mm-hmm. was turned into an anime recently yeah. in the last few years, and they decided to make a tie-in game for the anime. But the anime wrapped up like a year or two ago, and yeah. the game just finally came out uh, a couple months ago. Got it. So a little bit here, he's talking about like they made a game uh, that was focused on uh, like being like they made a product. And they hoped that people would like the product. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that they want to shift to look at the market and see what the market wants and yeah. make a product for that market. The, yeah. So I don't know. I see that as if you uh, like, I see that as almost like you could be. So like you have the, the director, the game director's vision for a new game. Right. And they're like, no. Yeah. The market wants this. Right. You need to make this. Right. So I could see being a director at Square Enix becomes like, well, I don't want to make that, but my job is to just make it anyways. Right. Which could lead to less passion in projects. It could also, I think even worse in my opinion, take someone's creative masterpiece like that and adapt the crap out of it to shoehorn in what the market wants right you know so you gotta love market research yeah right market research shows me this so make this it needs to have this and so if you if you're you know your lead game designer game director's masterpiece is like some story heavy like adventure thing but the market wants like arena battles you know (laughs) they're gonna just push that in there or something and then the story will just be a little bio for the character and it doesn't work at all you know what i mean just so i don't know i don't like the sound of that yeah okay and then the other thing that he said that i thought was noteworthy i'm not really focused on the dragon quest game doing poorly Mm -hmm. um but i think he has interesting comments but when he says we're working to put mechanisms in place that allow us to incorporate customer feedback games in the initial stages of development Mm-hmm. So what that shows me, or what that tells me, is that they want to clue the customer in on products early in, early on in the game's development, mm-hmm. so that when people are watching trailers and gameplay, they leave comments and stuff, yeah. and that way they can look and see what people are saying. Maybe they have early demos, and that way they can take uh, that, more of that feedback. This is the one thing in this answer that I actually like. Yeah, I... Square um, Enix is sometimes very secretive yeah, with their games. In the past, they have been. Yeah, so, I, and sometimes they're more forward. This guy, okay, remember when we went to the Final Fantasy sixteen event? Yes. And we saw how much, like, 
like disappointment management was going on there for lack of a better word like they were telling people the game hadn't come out yet they were telling people it's this it's not this don't expect this like you know what i mean like they were really trying to make us understand Mm. what the product was right i and i feel like that might this reminds me of that like this is kind of the direction that this guy's kind of well, you Going. know, what's funny is people were, like, hesitant about the game. And then the demo came out that night. Mm-hmm. And then people got really hot on the game. People were like, oh, wow, the demo's great. Yeah. The combat's awesome. Yeah, yeah, But then the game comes out a couple weeks later. And it does, like, okay in reviews. It, it gets, like, upper 80s in Metacritic if you care about that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, you know, blow people away. A lot of people said the combat is great. But it's the same throughout the entire 60 hours. Yeah. I disagree with that. Uh, people like to complain. I feel like some people, maybe they only played 10 hours and they're like, yeah. it's the same thing. I'm well, done. I, one of the things that they did say at that event was, you know, th- this is, we're dropping you in in this demo for late combat. Right. This is not going to be like this. It's probably going to take you upwards of 10 hours right. to get to your combat feeling like this. Yeah. Like, they were really trying to manage people's yeah. perceptions of, like... I know. think there was significant worry. Yeah. I think they had pre-order data, yeah. and it was probably below expectations. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what led them to try to get people excited about it. I mean, right. it worked for me. I love the game. Does the game have problems? Yeah. There's a lot of... The game would have been so much better if it cut out all of its NPC junk side quest stuff, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like, if you just went from story beat to story beat to story beat yeah, to story see, beat... So you're making an argument pretty much that's against open world games, these big... Because uh, I mean, that, that's one big... 16's like, not... Key staple. In open world, though. That's true, yeah. Um, but it does have... Sometimes what you have, like, necessary side quests... I'm sorry, there's a horn in the background. Car um, alarm. And, but, uh, so it's like, it's like the writing goes like, mm-hmm. it's like you just got out of this crazy high stakes thing and now it's time to like go upgrade my potion sack. You yeah, know, right, it's like yeah, I yeah. got to go pick some herbs for some guy. Yeah. You know, and some of these side quests are optional. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that likes to do all of them. Uh, yeah, I'm a completionist, so that, but that makes me drool. I will say some of them were kind of boring. Yeah. Although there were some of them where I did kind of get invested into some of the NPC stories. Because mm-hmm. some of them do have sort of a continuing story. Like you go back to NPCs and sort of continue their quest. Right. But there were also some that I was like, okay, the bread baking guy, like, I don't care about his story. Yeah, right. Like... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I realize it's optional. I don't have to do it, but there were sometimes mandatory, like interim quests, mm-hmm. and some of them, yeah, it would have just been so much better to just cut that and just just keep that high energy going rather than have these like peaks and valleys yeah. constantly. I, yeah, I get it. Or you know, curate it in a way that makes it feel more fluid and yeah, it works. Like, yeah, I mean, there's ways every to game has to have it. low points and high points. Right. You can't just have high octane the whole. No, you know, but like, those valleys didn't have to be so low. Yeah, they could have been like you know yeah. closer to the peak rather than like these like dramatic dips. Right, right. We've got like four hours of like just tedium picking wheat. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and I don't want to say it's totally like that. And, like, the combat was part of a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I was having fun doing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if it was more streamlined, I think it probably would have been better for Final Fantasy sixteen rather than try to have this sort of, like, half-baked open-world stuff. Well, uh, he's talking about... How did he word it? What was the wording? Market-oriented? No, that's not it. Uh, they want to incorporate customer feedback on HD games in the initial stages of development. That's it. So, um... I guess they needed to be more open about the game. Yeah, I guess. Earlier on. Yeah. But then I feel like you run the risk of, like, like ruining surprise for the player. Yeah. Like, I, I, don't... I think I think both can be done. Okay. I do think that. I don't think that you... Because Square Enix... I don't know. They're geniuses. <laughs> like, they come up with, uh, you know... When they do their reveals and stuff at the Game Awards and stuff, and it's it's this big thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They find a way to just make stuff work. Yeah. So I believe in them, but I know that that's, like, me being biased. But I, I don't know. I think that they can have a big reveal. Um, it might be more cinematic than gameplay, you know, but then it's like from there, it's a journey. Right. You know, it all. Yeah, exactly. But like, I feel like, you know, you see a lot of games that get re- announced and then like they release within the next six months. Right. That's kind of how I prefer it rather than like the endless like six years of waiting. You're not good at waiting. I well, know like, that. for example, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, right. that game I was telling you I've been following since, like, 2014 or 15, something like that. Right. Well, maybe, maybe 16. Um, like, that's just been, like... And then, like, every year we get one little progress is... You know, development is progressing smoothly. Yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. You know, it's like... No update. Yeah. Well, sometimes there is no update. I'm just going to say No, I I agree. And obviously, it had a kind of a tumultuous development. We talked about, like, Platinum going their separate ways with the company. Old divorce. Yeah. And so, the game probably got... You're lucky to even get the game at that point, to be honest. Yeah. A lot of of games would just stop at that point. Right. Um, But anyways, that part I do like. I I do like the idea of them being more in touch, having a more open... Communication and relationship with the audience. Also, this as, could as just, they're making the game. This could also just mean getting people from the public signing NDAs and yeah. getting in the yeah. development office and doing more of that. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean getting uh, online type. reactions. Yeah. yeah. So I guess you could look at this multiple different ways. Right. I mean, I could see it being a combination. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Yep. We'll be right back. We're back from our break, and we're going to jump into the U.S. Supreme Court declining to hear Apple's challenge to a lower court ruling in their battle with Epic Games. Epic Mm -hmm. Games being the makers of Fortnite and the Unreal Engine. And Unreal Tournament and so many other properties. And as we've discussed before Unreal is used for like movies and TV yeah. show and not just video games Te- anymore. Tech demos, go to CES, like half the stuff's going to be powered by Unreal. Yep. And uh, last year, well, it's kind of been playing out for a while now. Epic Games made this big gamble by putting they put out an update for Fortnite on like mobile. Yep. And they added in this option to pay through their website to get 
more of the in-game currency, the like V-Bucks. In the mobile game, you can pay through their own... Yeah, you can payment. open up a link to a website, which right. already has you logged in, and you can buy the in-game currency for cheaper than it costs when you buy it through Apple's App Store. Right. And this upset Apple greatly, because it's a violation of their terms of service mm-hmm. to offer uh, an alternative payment method in-game. Right. So you can sell, like, if you try to subscribe to Netflix within iOS, you can't. The app will tell you, go to our website, sign up, and then come back and log in on your app. Right. Because if you, if you make a subscription purchase, like for Netflix through iOS, Apple wants a 30% cut of that subscription purchase. Right. Um, so Epic did this on purpose, knowing that Apple was going to delist their game. Yeah. And then they had immediately, like next day, when their game got delisted, they put in like a... They were ready for a lawsuit. going to court. Yeah. And so we got through the whole court process over the last year or two. I'm a little fuzzy on when it it started. Yeah, it was... It might have started in 2022. Yeah, I think it's been a long time. Um, And it got to a point where they went to court. Yeah. And... Apple contested the results, and I believe Epic Games also contested some of the other results. Mm-hmm. And it got sent for the the U.S. Supreme Court consideration. And the Supreme Court this past well, week... There was a ruling, though, with the lower court. There was, and we'll talk about what happened. Okay. So now that the Supreme Court has declined to take on an appeal, the lower court's ruling now has to go into effect. Right. Um, so... This is over. The story is now done. Right. Here's what they won. Here's what they lost. Um, So we're going to start off by talking about Apple won the right to reject third-party app stores in their products. Apple also won the right to continue taking a cut of app store purchases. So what does that mean? So currently on Android, third-party app stores can be installed. Right. Epic Games wanted to see Apple open themselves up to third-party app stores. Right. And Apple is notorious for being a closed ecosystem. Very, very closed, very proprietary. And so they have always wanted to shut down any potential third-party app store because that would remove any potential cut that iOS could take. Right. So Tim Sweeney was trying to get the court to force Apple to add... Uh, Yeah, okay, yeah. Tim Sweeney, sorry. He is the founder and... right. Guy well, that runs Epic Games. The the CEO of Apple is also Tim. Tim, yeah. So, so you got Tim getting, Sweeney and yeah, Tim Cook. Right. Battle of the Tims. Um, so this was a big win for Apple. They continue to have the right to reinforce all of that. Yep. Um, so what did Epic get out of this then? Uh, and it wasn't just Epic that won, I guess you could say. You could say it's a win for all developers. Yes, yeah. Epic kind of went to battle against Apple on behalf of pretty much the industry. I mean, there's definitely selfishness involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, no. But. Epic Games is not some historical Robin Hood figure. No. Not at all. No. But by taking Apple to court, they did make some things better for all developers. Right. So specifically, um, they've won the right to provide in-app links to alternative payment options via, like, web browsers. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning any developer that now puts out something on iOS can now incorporate alternative methods to purchase things. 
Yes. So now Netflix, if they want, or eventually whenever Apple updates their terms of service, which they have to now, yeah. um, they may have a grace period to get that sorted. Right. Um, um, now, now you should be able to subscribe to Netflix. Right. You should be able to buy your V-Bucks for cheaper. Right. Um, now, does this just apply to Apple or does any mobile phone provider or... This battle was specifically between... Apple and Epic. Okay. So Google wasn't part of this. Right. Now whether you, well, Google already provides the ability to, yes. to do and this. And you can open up browsers to make purchases and things like that right. on Android. So I mean does does Google still also take a thirty percent cut of anything purchased through their store? Yes. Yeah. But I'm saying like if a third one were to come along someday, would they have to adhere to this? Is this now like a law, basically. Um, I know yeah, it's, I suppose. I, know I suppose litigation. someone could not do it, but then they might open themselves up to like, hey, there's precedent here, right? So they might be foolish to not allow it initially and just end up wasting a bunch of money in court, right? So yeah, it, it has set a precedent. So anybody, if a third phone manufacturer came in play, you know, not Android, not iOS, but you know, right. OS. It's litigation. It's not legislation. Not yet, at least. No. Um, so, anyways, yeah, this is a, this is a big win. I feel, yeah, in well, some capacity, especially for developers that don't want to cut in Apple on their on their. I mean, Apple kept some rights that they already had, but we, you know, we being developers and and gamers, got the ability to now have in-app purchases that are not Apple. Right, or not within the app. Right. Yeah. And so uh, Fortnite specifically sells V-Bucks, which is their in-game premium currency where you buy skins and things like that. Right. Dance emotes. Right. Um, they have they, they pitch this as like, hey, if we can sell it directly to them without Apple's cut, we can give it to consumers at a lower price. Right. So Apple still makes more money. There's the corn guy. Yeah. Apple or uh, Epic still makes more money and consumers pay less. So they were like, hey, it's a win-win for everyone but Apple. Right. So Apple, of course, didn't want to take that sitting down. Hence why this went all the way through the, the Supreme courts. Court. Yeah. yeah. Um, you got so close to the Supreme Court, but not quite there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wonder, I wonder what, I want to almost know what the Supreme Court's like discussion was on whether they should yeah. take this or not. But, uh, yeah, they declined, so we'll... It w that would have been great. That would be the closest video games have gotten to the Supreme Court yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. I think... Uh, maybe back in the 80s there was some stuff. I know, like, Activision went to court against Magnavox. And, oh, okay. And that went pretty okay. high. I don't... I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. But, but yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we just wanted to keep you guys updated on that. And uh, I'm curious... Uh, see developers embrace it i wonder if consumers will i wonder if they'll be more likely to trust the built-in app store as opposed to like a web browser yeah that's a good point um i think that purchasing through the apple app store probably at least feels safer right because but now how do you think fortnite is going to like pitch it when you go to the like shop page right and you go to buy v bucks they're probably going to have their button yeah that, that opens the browser be like real like a, big a banner ad or something yeah. yeah as opposed to the one where you can buy through the, the app store right. it's going to be like small or <laughs> five dollars off 
Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what they do is they go, hey, buy it here, save right. 20%. Another thing to consider, too, is now we're probably going to start seeing a bunch of Chinese apps and stuff have shady links right. to payment processing. And I'm sure that was maybe one of Apple's arguments. Like, we're yeah. by keeping it our store only, we protect right. you know, the consumers from harm. Right. You know, and maybe they have an argument there. Yeah. But, um, I mean, this does open the door to that. Like Yeah, I mean, it would still have to be an app that Apple approves. Yeah, but their approval process... <laughs> oh, it's automated yeah. completely at yeah. this point. Um, all right, we're going to move on to another story here. Uh, Rockstar Games' parent company, Take-Two, takes issue with Remedy's logo. So, a little bit of backstory here. In April of 2023, Remedy, the studio behind Max Payne... Alan Wake, and Control updated their logo for the first time in many, many years. Uh, Rockstar Games previously worked with Remedy on the Max Payne series of games. Yep. The first two games in the Max Payne series um, were like completely written and like directed by uh, a guy at Remedy, but the third game was actually written and directed by one of the founders of Rockstar, yeah. which is interesting, that Dan is interesting. Hauser, I think is his name. Um, so it really has been a collaborative kind of effort with that series. Uh, but Remedy kind of moved away from Max Payne and started, you know, making other games. Um, they are, although I should mention Alan Wake, right. Alan Wake, uh, Control, uh, they had that like live action game on Xbox series or Xbox one. Can't remember what it's called. It starred one of the Hobbits. Was that the one we played a little bit of? Uh, maybe. Okay. Um, but uh, they are making a Max Payne from the ground up remake, apparently, mm. of the first game, which means that they would have to be doing that in partnership with Rockstar. Right. So it's kind of strange that... I wonder if Rockstar owns part of Max Payne's property. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that means Take-Two also right. owns it, because they're a subsidiary of Take-Two. Um. So when Remedy put out their new logo, I think it was last April, this is what they said. The bullet and the letter R in the old logo represented the era of Max Payne. But the Remedy of now is much bigger than a single game. We have a whole portfolio of games, new and old. It was time to update and redefine our visual identity to bring more consistency, showcase our evolution over the years, and better express our vision of today's remedy. Did you look at the new logo? I did. Yeah, I, I saw. I think it's a nice logo. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And when you look at the Rockstar logo mm-hmm. and the Remedy logo, sure, they both feature the letter R. I mean, they're, the logo is the letter R in basically two different fonts with different styles. Yeah. But it's a giant capital letter R. Yeah. So I can understand from that angle, you know, them being similar. But the, I mean, the colors... Are so yeah, different. No, yeah. The design is clearly different. Um, keep, so this, keep reading. I'll, yeah, I'll respond to take this. Two, um, take Two wasn't persuaded by this wonderful argument for the new logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they filed a trademark dispute. You mean Remedy? Because it's Take Two going after Remedy, right? Take Two is going after Remedy. So Remedy is responding. You said Take Two, didn't No. Take Two, the parent company of Rockstar Games, decided that Remedy's new logo oh. is too similar to that of Rockstar, of Rockstar's. And Take Two filed a trademark dispute in the UK on the grounds that there exists a likelihood of confusion on the part of the public. Yeah. 
So that's the part that I can say no. <laughs> yeah, they are clearly different. Yeah. Uh, the color scheme is different. The style, the font, everything is different. I I understand, like, that both trademarks are a giant capital letter R. Like, the whole trademark is a giant capital letter R. And so basically you have two logos of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, yeah... I can I mean, understand so that. So, take two... I mean, if, if they were to win this dispute... Yeah. Or if this dispute were to go further, does that just mean that take two owns the letter R? Right, right. Like, that would be insane to you, Yeah, me. and you can't. But you know what's crazy is that these larger... Because in the grand scheme of things, take two is a massive conglomerate, and Remedy is a AAA indie studio, I guess you could say. They're independent. Yeah, they are. They're an independent AAA studio. Yeah, yeah. they're... The, yeah, you're right. I mean, they partner with third parties right. a lot for their to publish their games, um, but you know they're they're wholly owned by themselves. Right, they're not public or anything like that. Which is a rarity these days with all for the... a studio of their size. Too. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, everyone's getting trying to gobble up. everyone yeah. up. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't I don't buy the argument either. No. Um. And you know, but what happens though is that these bigger companies can bully you. With these disputes and, like, the prospect of going to court just being too expensive yeah. for you so that they effectively own the letter R even without, like, a judge saying they do. Right. Yeah. That happens a lot, and especially when it's a... Sometimes this happens in certain industries where it's, a uh, like, a dog pile and multiple parties are attacking one. Yeah. And then, yeah, that one might just go bankrupt just from lawyer fees. and Right, and, so they just give in, and they're like, yeah. fine, I'll, I'll change my logo, I'll change my title, you know, right. whatever. Um, so these filings were initiated in, like, May of last year, shortly after Remedy debuted their logo, but they were just discovered, like, this past week. Yeah. Um, so Eurogamer actually reached out to someone at Remedy, and this is what Remedy said. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to see here. This was a discussion between our teams that was resolved entirely and amicably last year. Unfortunately, it took a little longer to complete than we had hoped due to some holiday scheduling. The legal filing was simply an initial formality, and Remedy and Take-Two continue to work together in partnership. I have no problem with that response. Um, Oh, no, yeah. I mean, I think that's the happiest ending that there is. Right. So I'm going to say this, that... um, I think this is something that happens way more often than we know about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trademark disputes between companies in the industry are happening all the time. This is just one instance where we actually caught wind of it. Yeah. The, uh, the public or the press or whatever. Because I think you really have to dig in like all yeah. kinds of yeah, like government would, filings yeah. to find these kinds in of things. In the UK and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, you have to be like really looking for this kind of news. Um, I think I also know with trademark laws, at least here in the United States, and I'm not a lawyer and I I can't speak to this too extensively. This is not legal advice. Yeah, this is not legal (laughs) advice. Um, But I know that if you own a trademark, uh, you have to show an active... Oh, you got to use it. Yeah, you have to use it and you have to protect it. Mm. So if you're not showing any kind of active... Uh. uh, protection of it efforts right you can lose it like the trademark department or whatever can actually like so are you saying that maybe this was just 
possibly maybe just some fabric. Like, hey, Remedy, can we go after you to show that, you know, we're active uh, with our trademark? I don't think it happens quite like that, okay. but yes, and I, it could be. It could be that. Um, and I think companies are constantly doing this to each other. I really do. I think like, another thing it could be... And not just logos, yeah. like designs oh, yeah. and, you know, yeah. control schemes and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Um, go on, go ahead. It is, like, sometimes one arm of a company, the legal department... Mm-hmm. Is just doing things independently and not like, yeah, that's true oh, too. we're friends with them. We work with them. Right. You know, like we're, we're development partners. <laughs> I think, yeah, I do think that some companies, especially the bigger ones, give their legal department just free range yeah. to just make their own decisions. If you see something that looks sus... Go after it. Yeah. Like, do the Send papers. that cease and desist. Yeah. Send that dispute. And they don't collaborate. Yeah. You know, and so a company who's totally friendly and has collaboration in the past and stuff might get, like, served to cease and desist or something. What's funny is that Take-Two is known for being, like, aggressively protective. Uh-huh. Um, there was this game, it won Game of the Year, I think, two years ago, like an indie-ish game, It Takes Two. Made mm-hmm. by Hazelight. They got made by the company who made uh Brothers. Okay. It's like basically he he specific the the guy that make that runs this company, Hazelight, this development studio, he specifically makes co op games. He yeah. also made a way out. Uh-huh. Which was that like the two brothers in jail and like it's like the whole game is split screen. The, oh, okay, yeah. I don't remember that one, but I do remember Brothers. Yeah. Um and so the game was called It Takes Two. It's about this like isn't that a Mary Kate Nash and no. Ashley movie? <laughs> well, okay, movie? maybe it is. I think it is. The game is called It Takes Two. It's about this couple who is has like a I don't know eight year old kid, and they're like thinking about getting divorced. For some strange reason, they get turned into these like toys, uh-huh. and they have to like work together, resolve their issues, and like get out of this conundrum that they've gotten themselves into. And at the end of the game you know they've like grown stronger together okay um and yeah one game of the year at the game awards i want to say two years ago maybe it was three game for impact or no like game of the year oh Oh, shoot okay like yeah the big one yeah so like a a very small studio winning game of the year gotcha um uh there was this famous incident at the game awards where the the founder of this company years ago he was invited up on stage to like introduce something or talk about his new game. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who said "f the Oscars" and like flipped off the oh, camera. Shoot. I don't remember um, that. Happening. Okay, yeah, um, I can't think of his name right now. It's a little embarrassing, but oh well. Um, so yeah, they went after it takes two because the name of their big company it is Take two. two. Yeah. So it's like, See, yeah, that's what I'm talking. That's about. like so hyper aggressive. Yeah, that's like, very aggressive. No one can use Take Two ever. Yeah, there's been instances of this kind of thing in the past in the yeah. games industry. Um, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the Edge guy that owned Edge magazine, okay. founded Edge magazine. Um, this goes way back, but he, he went after everybody who used the word Edge. Okay. In any kind, he went after. That's the reason that um, Soul Edge got turned into Soul Caliber. Really? Yeah, he went after Mirror's Edge. Really hard, and they actually fought him. Um, What's funny is probably Mirror's Edge has probably been on the cover of Edge magazine. Yeah, probably. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, he he went after a mobile game and shut down the company. Oh wow! Yeah, just 
he's uh he got stripped of his uh trademarks oh, okay. for like abusing them okay good you know edge magazine is one of the last few remaining game magazines out there yeah um and it is uh it's known for being very difficult with their review scores mm-hmm. so people are yeah, always like right yeah they're always yeah. on the edge of their seat waiting yeah. for the edge reviews to right. drop right you know <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he, um, watch out! I might get sued for saying that. I do know uh, that, like that magazine is notorious for like being really shrewd in their reviews yeah. and stuff. So it's yeah, I'm always curious. I guess it it does it works because yeah. I am curious when I see like oh, because usually the the review numbers leak online before the magazine gets released. Mm-hmm. It's like someone just you know writes down all the reviews that they read when it was in the warehouse or something yeah, yeah. writes on all the numbers and posts it online um so i'm always curious to look at the number score it's very like old school like yeah. oh my god what what's what number did they get you right know? yeah st- still feels like we're in the 90s exactly yeah. yeah i don't know that's the only publication that i am even remotely interested in like seeing because they're like so protective and like kind of old school but uh mm-hmm. hey i respect that they're still around and there's still printing a magazine unlike yeah. a lot of other yeah. magazines. did and you know at gamestop you can't get a print subscription of game informer delivered to you anymore really the only way to get the print magazine of game informer is to buy it in store wow for seven dollars new if you have a subscription can you just pick it up in store no that's not a benefit of being a pro member anymore. Uh, At, you can get the digital version for free as part of your pro membership. Okay. But um, to act, if you want the physical magazine, you have to go in store to get it. Um, so that's... That stinks. If it's not close to being, you yeah. know, eradicated, I mean, Game Informer is probably well, on its last well, year yeah, or two. Last... At least as a physical right. magazine. I, I do think Game Informer will stick around beyond that. Yeah. But it does worry me when GameStop owns it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But, I mean, I think Game Informer is in enough of a position to live independently, you know? Maybe. I mean, if Game Informer just decides to close them. Yeah. Or if GameStop decides to close them, that's then true. what say do they have? It? Yeah, that's None. true. Um, but we're going to move on from that topic and talk about our last story for the week. And this is the sales data for the top 20 selling games of 2023 in the U.S. Um, Matt Piscatella of Circana, formerly the MPD Group, uh, whose job it is is to report sales data for the video game industry, uh, published uh, the list of the 20 best-selling games of 2023. Um, We're going to go through the list, Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about some things we think need to maybe be mentioned let's start at the bottom okay yeah let's let's build our way up yeah that's a good idea so keep in mind um oh yeah let's just start at the bottom okay so in 2023 mm-hmm. the 20th best-selling game of the year minecraft is minecraft minecraft more than a decade yeah, later that's crazy to think about it's still in the top 20 yeah if there's ever been a live, like, for me, like, a live service game is Minecraft. Because it just... I, it just gets update after update yeah, after yeah. update. And then you have a whole community. And because it's such it's a building game. Right. With people, thousands, millions of people contributing, like... Not exactly. Not there, you, you can have your own server. Right. 
and you can invite people to play in your server. I don't think it has like some astronomical cap though. Like you can't have like oh. twenty thousand people playing in your world. Yeah, um, at the same time. Yeah, okay. That I mean, I think sense. there are maybe bigger servers that have more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you, players host their own server or how that works. I'm sh- I mean, I'm sure Mojang or Microsoft now. Right. Well, because there's like there's Minecraft like classic. Yeah. And then there's like the modern Minecraft that's like constantly getting iterated upon. Right. I'm sure this is referring to that one. Yeah. I mean, probably combined, but I think the. The modern Minecraft is the more popular one at this point. Yeah. But I'm sure there's some purists that like the right. classic Minecraft. But all I was going to say is Microsoft probably offers like a, a hosting service at this point for servers. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe it's just hosted locally on your machine whenever you're online. But yeah, it's peer-to-peer yeah. rather it than that on Microsoft servers. Yeah. But yeah, it's possible that maybe players can set up a machine that just acts as a perpetual mm-hmm. Minecraft server. Uh, you could do that with anything. Yeah. If if they offer that kind of support, a lot of games are doing away with like player hosted servers. Mm, yeah, like Call of Duty used to have a lot of player hosted servers. I that's a topic for another time. I you know I want to talk about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, a lot of games are getting rid of that, and I don't see why. Right, like I really don't. Well, it feels like piracy and DRM and there's solutions. yeah, like they're worried about that. Right, you know. Um. All right. Coming in at number nineteen. Is Mario Kart 8. Yeah. So we already knew Mario Kart 8 was probably going to be on this list. It is Nintendo's best-selling game of all time, I believe. Yeah. It is currently the top-selling title on Switch, which is... It's a remake. Or it's a re-release. Yeah, it's essentially a deluxe version of a Wii U game. Right. With added content. Now, let's keep in mind, over the last two years, they have been releasing... Lots and lots of new courses for the game mm-hmm. in the form of DLC, uh, which you get as part of your subscription to the Nintendo Switch Online like expansion plan, mm-hmm. which is like the second tier of the Nintendo Switch Online plan. Right. Um, or you could, I think it's like twenty five or thirty dollars to own everything. The, the courses, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's crazy that we're talking about another like nearly decade old game, right? Still in the charts. Still getting new content, so it's not like people are playing an old game. Right, but even before this new content was being added, yeah, like it was still selling gangbusters year after year. Right. Um, so yeah, and you'll... Well, we can see it here. There's an asterisk next to Mario Kart 8. Yeah. And there's an asterisk next to every first party Nintendo, Nintendo title. title on here, and we'll talk about why that is in a little bit. Yeah. Number 19, or sorry, number 18 is Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. So this is the big From Software title from last year. Makes sense that it's still yeah. on the list. It was a really big game. Huge, we're, strong We're also seeing all the nominees from the Game Awards for Game of the Year uh, on this list. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we'll move on from that one. We're just going to go through these a little more quickly unless they're worth discussing uh, further. Uh, Street Fighter Six. That makes sense. It's good to see a fighting game yeah. in the top 20. Yeah. Fighting games are notoriously kind of high barrier of entry. Yeah. A lot of people don't feel like they're for them. Um, this is actually a game that I purchased mm-hmm. last year. I wanted cool. to get it signed at Comic-Con. Nice. Um, with the director. But, uh, yeah, it's it's great to see Street Fighter alive they, and well. They undersell, you know, fighting games. Yeah. I mean, I think Street Fighter did pretty good. Uh, but not as good as another fighting game on this list. But we'll get there. Um, 
Final Fantasy 16, fittingly, yeah. came in in 16th place. Yeah, number 16. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we talked a little earlier that maybe they were worried about sales for the game last year, but, I mean, still made it in the top 20 in the U.S. I think that's, I think that's a respectable yeah, position. Oh, 100%. For an original Final Fantasy title. Yes. Um, Dead Island 2, finally released after, like, a decade of being announced. Yeah. So uh, that one, honestly, oh, there are a few that surprise me, but that one kind of, like, you know, the first Dead Island game was like such a it, yeah strong success. Yeah, and then they announced Dead Island two a couple of years after the first game came out yeah. at like the Sony press conference in like twenty thirteen or something like that twenty fourteen. Right. Yeah, it was. A, and, I remember that, <laughs> and it just never came out. Yeah. Um, and it apparently went through, like, a new developer eventually got a hold of the game. So I think there was just sort of, like, a nostalgia. Like, all the people who played it, you know, eight, nine years ago were like, hey, Dead Island's back. All bought it. And so they all bought it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, I mean, I haven't played it. Yeah. So I want to put a little asterisk next to my comment there. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right, so it's a great game, and it's worth this buy. Obviously. I'm happy for Dead Island Based on numbers, it's a good game. I can't. Well, we both know that doesn't mean a game is good. Right, that's true, yeah. Uh, But uh, people bought it. Yeah. Um, And then we have MLB The Show, uh, the 2023 version of this. What's interesting to note is that uh, MLB The Show, I I think it was 2022, was the first year it became a non-PlayStation Studios exclusive. Mm-hmm. So it's made by a first-party PlayStation Studio, yeah. but it's now published on Nintendo Switch, and it's now published on the Xbox series of consoles. It's not EA that does MLB? No. MLB The Show is, is, PlayStation. A, is made by Sony San Diego. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense, because I'm remembering it being shown at like PlayStation booths and yeah. stuff. Okay. Um, so that's, that's Sony. Now that... They basically wanted to keep it exclusive, but Major League Baseball was like, we're going to take the license away from yeah, you oh, yeah. unless you agree to make it multi-platform because we're we're both losing out on a lot yeah, of money. Here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Sony, of course, wanted to make it exclusive so people would invest into their ecosystem. Right, yeah. That was the idea. Uh but rather than lose it, they figure, well, yeah. forget it. We'll just we'll just make more money. They're still making money on Xbox oh, yeah. sales. Yeah. Like they still get revenue from that. Right, but now there's more people taking cuts of right. things. Yeah. yeah. But it's still still money. Um Resident Evil four, the twenty twenty three remake, ended up on thirteen on the list here. Mm-hmm. Um That's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well well liked remake. Um, so good for them. Dude, I saw the VR, like, little... Oh, yeah, we, tri- like, video. we mentioned being uh, scared. I, dude, I, I would never. Yeah. I don't think I would. Even though that is a more action-y... It was sort of the beginning of the action-y Resident Evil games. Its development cycle didn't start that way. Right. It looked more like the beta version looked like a Silent Hill title. Okay. Like, it, slow walking, yeah. and, but... It's considered by a lot of people to be the best yeah. Resident Evil. Oh, myself included. Like it walked the fine line of still being horror but also being action. Yeah. It yeah. Whereas Resident Evil 5 went almost like full action. Full action. And like, like heavy machine gun. Yeah, action. just a smidge of horror, you right. know. 
Um, next on the list, we have Super Mario Brothers Wonder at number 12, mm-hmm. which is, considering how late that game came out last year, that's really good. Yeah. This game also has an asterisk next to it, which we'll touch on shortly. And then at number 11, we have Starfield from mm-hmm. Bethesda Game Studios and Microsoft. Yep. Um, we knew that game was going to be on here. I knew sure. it would do well. Yeah, I think some people I are maybe surprised it didn't do as well. You know, people were thinking it's going to be Skyrim in space. And right. It wasn't that. Yeah, it's number 11 on the list, which yeah. isn't bad. And this is where we start getting into a lot of the sports games and yeah, things like that. Right. We had a little bit of that already, but now we're going to be seeing more of the usual suspects in the top ten. That's here. okay. They're games, too. Yeah. So we have, I mean, yeah, they're games, but they have, like, they've stripped out so much of the, like... I have, yeah. I and have. now it's all about microtransactions in these sports games. Yeah. That's what's disappointing. And they, they, like, they're worth... A DLC download. Yeah. They're not worth a standalone title. Right. Like, they update jerseys and... Like, it's crazy. When the new sports game comes out that year, last year's sports game gets discounted so heavily. Yeah. You can find it for, like, $5. Oh, yeah. If you go back a few years, you can literally, like, less than $5. Yeah. A game that was 60 bucks. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, this is EA Sports FC 24. Mm-hmm. So EA lost the license with FIFA. Mm. So now they've had to start making individual agreements with teams. Um, and so now it's just FC standing for football club. Okay. Um, so yeah, now they have their own non-FIFA license. I didn't football know that. Game. Yeah. When did that happen? Uh Either this year or the year before was okay. the first year. Shoot. Uh, so FIFA, I mean, it may be that another FIFA game comes out someday. Mm-hmm. But basically FIFA was like asking for way too much of the money. Yeah, okay. You know, and these sports games are a lot of people getting pieces of the pie. Yeah. Oh, got, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got teams, you've got owners, you've got players, mm-hmm. all taking cuts from these things. Yeah. Like, oh, you want the biggest... Football player on the planet. When I say football, I mean like Soccer. FUT. Um, yeah. Uh, they all want to cut, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I guess that's maybe why maybe these games couldn't exist if it wasn't for all the microtransactions now. Yeah. I don't really know. But yeah, I, I think there was like a purity to like the sports games in the 90s. Oh, 100%. Like, I would. The, the, those games were the, fun. Yeah, the, the sports games on Genesis were really good yeah and some of them uh had like you could save the game yeah. on a genesis cartridge right which the only like non-sports game that i know could do that and i this might not be the only one but the only one i knew of was sonic 3 right but i'm save a golf game i can save my game and resume it yeah. yeah it's crazy um but yeah unfortunately all these sports games are now heavily bogged down in microtransactions yes. you have to like Spend and spend and spend to like get the players you want. And yep. It's or you can grind for hundreds of hours. And don't they have like passes and stuff like season passes? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's just later with it. It's yeah. It's a shadow of his former self. There's no yeah. fun in it no. anymore to me. But people spend. People that are into these games, oh, yeah. that's all they play all year. And they spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars on some of these Do games. Do you know if these sports games have like a presence in like esports? I'm guessing. Yes? Uh, Yeah, they have their own tournaments and things. Yeah, I mean, you don't really 
hear about it in the general gaming discussion. Yeah. But they're out there for sure. Like they don't you don't hear about it the way you hear about it like, like Evo. Evo, okay. Yeah. So they're they're lesser than Evo. Definitely. Gotcha. Fighting games have a major I mean, I don't think fighting games sell as much as the sports games. Right. But like people pay the general gaming population is more interested in fighting games. Watching yeah, watching a exactly. fighting game, yeah. Um, and then next on the list we have Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Ben's happy. Yeah. Um, to hear about number nine on the list here. Uh, this is the new Respawn Star Wars game. Had kind of a shaky start. Mm-hmm. A lot of bugs. A lot of glitches. Seemingly, especially on PlayStation platforms, the game got a lot of patches. It launched physically as nothing yeah, on the yeah, disc. Yeah, a broken... <laughs> like, you put the disc in... And then the entire game downloads. Yeah, that's crazy. So the disc was just the launcher. So you're not even getting a game. Yeah. Um, so that game was when they basically it needed more time in the oven. Oh yeah. But they had some kind of deadline. Well, EA was like, "Hey, you need to get that out." So they printed the discs months and months in advance. You got EA and Disney both. Yeah. You know. Hey, we got earnings yeah. reports. I would not out. want to work on a Star Wars game. Yeah. You know, Ubisoft is making a new open world Star Wars game. Really? Yeah. Um, I think that comes out late this year, they said. Um, but moving on to number eight. Yeah. We got Mortal Kombat 1. Mortal Kombat 1. So, interesting. Interesting that's all the way up at number eight. Well, Street Fighter 6 is down at 17. Yeah, right. Um, now keep in mind, this is just the U.S. Yeah. And basically Mortal Kombat is the U.S.'s fighting game. Yeah, it is, 100%. Yeah. yeah. All of their major fighting games. Yeah. Are made in Japan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know Riot is working on a fighting game called Project... Well, it's known as Project L right now. Okay. Uh, which they made publicly playable for the first time at Evo last year. I bet you it's a League I mean, game. I think it's tied into League somehow. Okay. Like the League universe. Right. Um, League of Legends we're talking about. But yeah, it's... I mean, it's good to see Mortal Kombat selling so 100%. well. 100%. Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy about that. Um, and then we have 2022's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Yeah. So the previous year's Call of Duty game still doing very well in 2023. Um, okay. Yeah, I see. I see the delineation here. Um, and then, and keep in mind that was a, uh, not a remake, but like the new Modern Warfare 2. Right. Yeah. Was that supposed to be a sequel to Modern Warfare? Okay, so I think the year before, two years before, they made Modern Warfare, you know, 2020, which is basically a reboot of the Modern Warfare series. Okay. So if they were to continue it, it would have been like Modern Warfare 4, but like they just decided to kind of start Put a year on the end of it? Call them all two and put a year on the end of it? Well, no, so... Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and then you have the year, because it has, shares the same exact title as the Call of Duty Modern Warfare that came out years prior. It's like when Tomb Raider came out again. Yeah, why did they do game. this? I don't understand. We're chronologically confused. Um. So yeah, it's a new Modern Warfare series, but it has the same title. Okay. So the year is implied. Right. Um, or there just to like di- differentiate between the two. It's not actually on the box, you know, parentheses 2022. Right. I um, mean, it might as well be. Yeah. I mean, when you look it up online, like on GameFAQs, it'll have the parentheses around it. 
I mean, that's some creativity right there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, then at number six, also kind of fitting, we have Diablo 4. Why is it fitting? Well, 666, the devil, I guess. Oh, yeah, okay. Satan's <laughs> number. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Well, there's only one six. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it work here. Um, um, so that's no surprise. No. Uh, you know, this is Diablo's first time launching simultaneously on console alongside the PC counterpart. Mm-hmm. So it did do really, really well. This game has had its fair share of controversy in the last year uh, with right. players revolting and rioting at changes and lack of changes yeah, and right. all kinds of stuff. We talked going about on. some of that. I think we reported. I think we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, still, still selling well. Yeah. Clearly. Um, and then at number five, we've got another asterisk title with the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, to me, that seems low. Number for, five? Yeah, at number five for Zelda. But I think there's a good reason for that, and we'll all reveal that in a moment. Um, at number four, we have Marvel Spider-Man 2. Um, taking up that slot. Uh, another Sony's massive biggest game last year, for yeah. sure. Um and then we have Madden NFL 24 coming in at number three. And, you know, good to see that John Madden's name. Yeah. Even though I, I don't care <laughs> at all about yeah. football. But, uh, like... Yeah. It'll be a sad day when that series is... Drops it. ...called something else. Yeah. yeah. Because that has just been going on since NES. Yeah. And maybe prior. Right. Was Genesis the first Madden game? I couldn't tell you. Okay, I'm um, not sure. I know there were NFL or there were NFL. There were, yeah, there were NFL games prior to Madden. You know what? Yeah, um, a console that I'm not going to get into called called the RDI Halcyon uh-huh. only, only has two games on it. One of them is a Madden title, okay. I believe. So okay. it predates NES. Okay. Um, and then at number two, we've got Call of Duty Modern Warfare Three 2023. Yeah. Um, so they've now remade <sighs> Modern Warfare, the whole trilogy, like, come a second on, guys. time. But as a different game, they just kept the title. Yeah. So, just, silly. That Yeah, that's ridiculous. So if Call of Duty is not number one, who who could it be that's number one? Yeah. And, you know, it's been since 2008, I think Matt uh, noted... That a Call of Duty or a Call of Duty game or a game developed by Rockstar has not taken the number one spot. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like sixteen years. Yeah, it's been since a non Call of Duty or Rockstar made game has been number one, and it's Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah, the most normie game. Yeah, it's that's why. <laughs> that is why. You know, it's made for Muggles. Um, if you want to think about it. Warner Brothers games, um, they own Mortal Kombat. That's true. So they've so, got two big hits yeah. on their hands this year. So, um, But yeah, Hogwarts Legacy has dethroned Call of Duty, which I won't lie, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Kind of nice. Yeah. Um, Could have been something better. <laughs> but, well, uh, you know, let's talk about that asterisk real quick. Yeah. Okay. So what does this asterisk next to Nintendo's games mean? That means that Nintendo does not provide digital sales data to Circana for their reporting, mm-hmm. which means all these other games 
have physical and digital sales data combined yes. to give you their sales position for the year. Meanwhile, none of these Nintendo games provide their digital numbers. Mm-hmm. So why Nintendo doesn't... It doesn't make sense. I have no idea. But if they did, you can be well sure yeah. that the position of all three of these games would move up significantly. Uh, oh, yeah. Tears well, of the Kingdom could be number one. Could uh, be number two. Um, well, I think you and I talked in a previous episode, maybe last week, where we kind of assumed or guessed that in Nintendo's case, it's about 50-50 between physical and digital. Well, We think. We think possibly. I mean, I do think with some titles, you are likely to see people want the physical. Yeah. So more so with Nintendo, like Zelda and Mario, like they're like, you know, they've bought them all up to this point since they were kids. Yeah. So they want that physical copy on their shelf. There's more of a hunger for physical. So I do think those two titles in particular could lean a little more heavily physical. Yes, definitely. I would say Uh, I, I can't imagine buying Zelda digital yeah i mean you know how they incentivize players now is like the game's preloaded and it launches at 9 p.m pacific time yeah so it's like rather than waiting for your amazon package to show up which might be late yeah you know so people who are like oh i gotta have it i got yeah the second it drops yeah which i don't understand okay i am guilty of this yeah you are like that for one series in particular Pokemon. Yeah, I know you are. I double dip on yep. at least one. So, like, when they released Scarlet and Violet, I did have Violet pre-ordered mm-hmm. digitally. Now, for me, I I won't lie. It is nice to easily be able to swap between my Pokemon games digitally. Because when I'm doing, like, Pokemon Home stuff, yeah, like, just bouncing between all my games and, like, finding stuff in my boxes. To right, bring without having to replace the cartridge. Which I know is just... It's an excuse for laziness. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I mean, I'm not... You know, I enjoy removing cartridges. Yeah. I like that click. Yeah. I like that, you know, that sound. But let's let's talk more about you being <laughs> being a little piggy. Of course. He... Yeah. I mean, look, I... When a new Pokemon game comes out, I take, like, the next day off at work. Yeah, Like, so it's like, I am up at this, midnight... This... Goes all the way back to high school when you took days off. Yeah, for Pokemon Coliseum. Um, well, my mom graciously <laughs> let me stay home the following day. Yeah, well, you would have just played sick if she didn't. Uh, she usually could yeah. tell if I was sick. Well, yeah. um, I don't know. For me, mm-hmm. it's the same game ten hours from now. So I, I don't. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I... I I just, it makes me feel like a kid again, like staying up until 4 a.m. playing, right? So, like, for me, it's kind of a nostalgia, like, I want, I don't do that often with games anymore, Mm -hmm. so, like, a new Pokemon generation to me is, like, yeah, it's, it's crack. See, so, I didn't do that when I was a kid either. Oh, okay. It's because I was, Well, I mean... I wasn't doing that until high school, really. Okay. Um, but, like, I mean, I did pre-order, like... I remember going into Target with my silver version pre-order slip, mm-hmm. you know, and walked running over to the electronics booth yeah. and being yelled at by the 
for running. Yeah, by the employees, like, no running! Yeah. So I'm like, power walking. That would be you. I, um, I, can... I mean, me and my brother both, we were darting yeah. to the, the electronics booth. Um, and yeah, picking up. Picking up silver version. Yeah. See, I had to like do chores and make myself enough money to go pay for it by myself. Oh, I mean, I did that. I mean, yeah. that's how I got my games. Yeah. You know, I mean, occasionally my grandpa would treat me, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I had to do chores around. I had to do a lot of chores around yeah. the house. It, like my mom, I know this is getting off topic, but like it would be Saturday night at like 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And she would just get into like a cleaning mode. Yeah. And then, like, me and my brother get roped into it, and we're cleaning until, like, 2 in the morning. Yeah. That's you crazy. You know, but, man. like, that's how I earned my yeah. keep. <laughs> that makes sense. I, um, knowing your mom, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how do you feel on that topic? It was crazy as I missed that. I want to go clean with my mom. Okay. <laughs> Nothing's stopping you. You can do it. But, um... How do you, I mean, on the on that topic, yeah. how do you feel about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet not being on this list? Um, I feel like it kind of maybe should be on this list, but it's not. That's, you know, that's a good point, because it came out in November mm-hmm. of 20... And the DLC came out even later, more recently, right. so... I mean, DLC doesn't get reported. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess it would have been reported from that those physical versions that they did. Right. But I don't think they made very many because not very many people are going to drop a hundred dollars on a physical game bundle with the DLC. Oh yeah, you're right. That's yeah. We just talked about how Nintendo. So those doesn't... would have been reported. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think they would have sold that many to make it on the no. list. Um, um. But yeah, one would think. I guess Pokemon sales are heavily front loaded. What do you mean? Like. Oh the yeah. People that buy Pokemon games buy them in the year. Yeah. Like, so like. The majority of players probably pre-ordered and purchased that yeah. game immediately. Right. So, like, there wasn't... Although I do know that, like, there are long-tail... Like, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, I think we discussed last year, they're, like, the third or fourth best-selling pair of Pokemon games mm-hmm. ever. And they're likely to, like, overtake, like, Gold and Silver, even. Wow. Um, yeah, but, I mean, not more than Minecraft... No. Apparently. No, not more than Minecraft. Um, so, yeah, I guess... I mean, I don't want to sound sad about it. Like, I'm not like... <laughs> like, my my game didn't make the list. You know? Right. Like, that's not gonna... I'm not gonna cry about that. Right. I mean, I'm a freak when it comes to Pokemon. Yeah. But, like... I don't, I'm not that much I'm of a I'm not freak. a console warrior, you yeah, know? Yeah, or yeah. I'm not anymore. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just crazy to... I, I mean, I wish Nintendo did give those numbers. Because yeah. I would love to see... Why do you where... think they don't? Um, You know... If you had to Nintendo guess. does the opposite of what everyone else does <laughs> yeah. all the time. Uh, yeah, they do, they do the opposite of and, what everyone else... And there's just this... There's a mystique to Nintendo. Yeah. There's like a... Like, what's going on over there in that normal looking corporate building yeah you know yeah like people are at the gates you know shaking and yeah. foaming at the mouth yeah um yeah. so yeah i just think that adds to the quirky nintendo we do it our way maybe they don't believe in digital and um, and feel like they're sticking it to it by I, not. I don't think so because <laughs> they have digital incentives now they it's for a hundred dollars mm. you can buy this thing like this digital voucher 
that can get you, or maybe it's not even $100, maybe it's $90. I can't remember what the price is. Yeah. But you can get two $60 games for $100, digitally only. Mm-hmm. So you buy this $100 voucher, and it helps you save... 20 bucks. 20 bucks, effectively. Yeah. Buying two first-party Nintendo games. So, I mean, they are incentivizing digital yeah. purchases, for sure. Yeah, that is an incentive, for And at sure. least... That's a bigger incentive than anyone else is offering That's to go true. digital. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine spending $100 <laughs> on digital goods. But... I mean, yeah. I mean, you're getting a game. Are you, though? Yeah, I know. There's an argument to be made you're not. And transmission. 